of all Champions League goalkeepers I've seen, and Carrius included, what about the fellow in the goal for Villarreal? Carrius included is the worst thing any Liverpool <laughs> fan can say. That's the harshest. Well, Carrius was hopeless, wasn't he? OTB AM, live, weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, half past seven Thursday morning. Only one place to start, and that is the annihilation of Manchester City by Real Madrid last night in a 90-second spell that broke their soul and broke their spirits. What happened? Give us your view. Hashtag OTBAM. Owen, what happened? <laughs> uh, it's hard to know. Is it a... Are we calling this a pep special? I think that's probably Ooh. a little bit too, too far. That's the headline. Owen says pep special. There we go. Yeah, Kevin De Bruyne <coughs> concluding the game on the bench is is that a, is that a symptomatic of a of a Pep special? I wonder. Uh, Riyad Mahrez being withdrawn is that a is that a is that a Pep move? Up to Joe. Pep Guardiola has now suffered six eliminations at the semi final stage of the UEFA Champions League. Oh nine ten eleven twelve with Barcelona, the thirteen fourteen season, fourteen fifteen and fifteen sixteen with Bayern Munich. The joint most of any manager along with. Do you know this? I don't. Who do you think, who else has lost six Champions League semi-finals? Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho. Mm. Well done. Did someone give you that? No. But like who else has been in lots of Champions League you know, positions and, and been so disappointed? Do you therefore say, it was an amazing career, you've reached this and you've also won it the other times. And you've, you know. He was final. I don't think he lost final, did he? Anyway. Um, is it like, what an amazing career, you have changed football? Or is it, you've also been gifted the best footballer of all time uh, and then the control of Bayern Munich and now all the money in the world literally all the money in the world to build a team that is flaky as F like this, that's a good question <coughs> excuse me so, so in, a, in a year's time are they flaky? well I would you have to say yes they conceded two goals that in, in very quick succession that can only be compared with the the Remontada, the the Bayern Munich or the um, Barcelona PSG in 2017. That's that's the only thing that really kind of comes close to this. Like when it, when it happened, it, it kind of felt like Spurs Ajax. We can't forget the Spurs only scored one late goal on that occasion. Like Liverpool's comeback against Barcelona was a slow run thing over the course of the second leg. This all happened in very quick succession. And I know Barcelona got three after the 88 minutes wasn't it's, it that night against it's PSG. The Champions League final '99, except that uh, Champions League final '99, exactly. Yeah, that that it's. But I, I wouldn't have said that. Like uh, that was a that Bayern Munich weren't flaky. Well, I mean. I don't know. That Bayern Munich team has a bunch of players who win World Cups, who eventually win a Champions League. Like, you know, yeah. Uh, so, like, I mean, are we are you are you using the Premier League titles for Manchester City as a reason to suggest that they're not flaky? Now, I guess what I'm saying is that uh, the Real Madrid team are special. Yeah. And in the Champions League over the last decade, they've been one of the greatest collection of players of all time. Now it's a it's a different team. It's not that different. I mean, sure, Ronaldo's gone, Sergio Ramos has gone, a few others are not there, but uh, several of that team have won Champions Leagues. So for them to keep going and to score is not truly shocking. It's a little bit fluky that the deflection goes on to Rodrigo's head. Like, that's a bit of a fluke. Yeah. It's a bit of a fluke that Courtois' giant leg is fully extended and the ball just brushes off the bottom of his boot and hits the post because wide of the post from the greatest chance the other greatest chance like what 
it's a bit of a fluke that they got beaten. I, I'm firmly of the belief, though, that you have a greater chance of fluky things happening to you if you are flaky. <laughs> like that, that spoken it, like a true Arsenal fan. That is what, it, well, exactly, uh, exactly, and uh, like I think maybe if I'm not sure, can we make a, a Mayo comparison here? I was just we're all Mayo's two it. own goals. Like uh, no, that's that's unfair. no, that, I, no, not the own goals. Like I mean the the sort of late stage getting beaten when the, the game is in the melting pot, sort of against an all time great team though. But like and, or, or okay. did they? Did they? Don't aren't that great? It's, it's just that they came up against a flaky Mayo side. Kerry Tyrone last year there was fluky things that happened there that, and the flakier team got beaten Kerry are flaky yeah they were flakier than Tyrone uh, I, I apologise for using that reference but it's like one of the first things that kind of comes to mind I, I do believe that there is a correlation between the fluky and the flaky and the flaky get, ends up getting, falling victim to the fluky and yes of course there is a multiple there are multiple different alternate universes this morning where there was no problem for Manchester City where those late chances just come and skim by the post and, and that happens but it doesn't you can't make a case that they're not flaky after losing in the manner in which they did. Is it Pep's fault that like those chances get missed in the first leg? Uh, that the defence isn't better in the first leg when yeah. it could have been wrapped well, up? Sorry, no, I, I don't know if it's Pep's fault or not, but that was definitely for me the the reason why Manchester City aren't in the Champions League final. Like I said last week here, that the first game could have been an 8-2 situation for, for Manchester City. and Not that it should have been, but it definitely should have been more than 4-3. Well, it... it probably should have been it was it was there to have your signature breakout performance where you become a truly great european team like i don't know is there is there something that like they made a faustian pact with the devil when they took all the oil money and that ultimately you can't you can't get what you want that like there's a so we're going to award the good guys real madrid with with everything uh, you know the you know it's it's difficult it's a difficult narrative to see the whole way through but you know where the plucky underdogs as somebody said last night on Twitter it's like uh, our Real Madrid something weird has happened in the world a lot of weird stuff has happened in football in the last decade the money that Manchester City have pumped in has been incapable of winning the Champions League hmm. the money that PSG have pumped in has been incapable of winning them the Champions League there is some still modicum of justice in the world of football. You're, you're talking here as if this story is done. You're talking here as if like the money has dried up and this is the last chance. Like Erling Haaland will probably win the Champions League for Manchester City next season. Will he? Like there's every will chance. He? He's done. Well, the, the thing is, what happens if he comes in and he's he's afflicted with the disease of flakiness? You, you, but the thing is, Manchester City, even if they'd won last night, you could still make a case that they are flaky given their past history in the Champions League. That they still wouldn't have got over until the line they win it. Yeah. Until they win it, exactly. So, uh, like, bear in mind, Manchester United were flaky in the Champions League all the way up until the 89th minute against Bayern Munich in that final because they hadn't won it and that's how that's what scoreboard journalism is it's like oh this team is no good until they do the thing that they and ultimately that's the whole point of it you, we keep score because we want a winner at the end I don't think Man United were flaky up until that point though um, I think that the, a, a, a weird series of things had happened to them in previous years and they had not been able to fulfil their destiny. And then they were flaky again for a couple of years after that until they won it again. Like, uh, is, is it not just that Real Madrid are a team full of absolute winners who've just won the league, who are celebrating that, who uh, do have some of the best young players in world football and whatever else they have in their armoury at the moment... Uh, they're doing very well with. They were they were definitely still going strong in extra time last night, and um, we shouldn't we shouldn't be that 
surprised. Like, here's the thing. No shots in 90 minutes is a, is a big deal, right? But, like, uh, no shots on target. But, like, they're going to have shots on target. <laughs> Over the course of the game, their shots on target all just happen to be in a short spell. That short spell happened to be at the end of the game. If they'd scored two goals in 90 seconds early in the game and City had wrestled it back to get to extra time and then beaten extra time, would we be like, oh, flaky City? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Yeah, probably not. And I think that there would have been a bit of, a far better chance had, you know, those goals come earlier in the game. They were just completely shell-shocked and it, it, if it was before half time, it would have made a world of difference if they'd gone back into the dressing room. The fact that it was extra time today to go into, I think, I think we knew that it was only going to go one way unless it had gone to a penalty shootout. Plus, even then, I think Real Madrid would have won a penalty shootout. Michael O'Connell says, Lads, you've been hyping the quality of the Champions League all year. It's been crap. This is a poor Madrid team. All the Spanish, German, and Italian teams are weak. The Premier League has two good teams. That is. That is a contrarian take the morning after uh, the Champions League semi-finals have once again been the best sports events on the planet, as they are every year for the last number of years. No matter who's playing, weird shit happens in the Champions League semi-finals. Do you remember there was a couple of, there was like a three or four year period where the All-Ireland Hurling semi-finals were like unbelievable. Yeah. Every every single game was unbelievable. 18 and 19 in particular. And it, it's kind of come off that peak. The Champions League keeps getting better and better and better in the semi-final stage. Better and better and better. I think More the final, dramatic. And I think the final this year has the potential to be pretty dramatic. Like you have two very, very good teams who are going to be going for it. I'm, pr- I'm very happy that this is the Champions League final matchup. I, like I think that this is the beauty of the Champions League. You want to see teams from different countries going up against each other. And I think... Uh, like the, the great irony here is that my belief is that Real Madrid in a one-off game against Liverpool have a good chance but actually they've probably proven over the last little while that Real Madrid over two legs probably have a better chance because they I guess they frustrate a team for a longer period of time and, and then they figure their way uh, uh, like uh, figure their way into the game like I, I think this is going to be a very very interesting Champions League final there's no question that, that Manchester City on paper are a better team than Real Madrid um, but I think we've seen over the last few rounds that Real Madrid just have a, a level uh, competitively that a couple of other teams in and around them on paper don't have and like uh, I think we're sometimes underplaying how good some of the players are in this Real Madrid team some of the younger players like what's the Rodrigo ceiling going to be over the next little while like he's only 21 years of age I think Camavinga obviously would have gone down as a, a wunderkind for the last few years Real Madrid got him made a huge impact when he came on last night he's probably not going to start the final because you have to start Crows and Casemiro but like this is the quality that they have coming off their bench yeah yeah uh- <laughs> Mark Dunning says incredible finish of that game last night if Real win the final is there an argument to be made that Cruz Modric and Casemiro midfield is better than Xavi, Busquets and Iniesta we'll ask that to Graham Hunter a little bit later on I suspect he's going to say no but at the same time the level of achievement is off the charts yeah yeah no it really is and also those guys know how to win the biggest games in world football again and again and again and again and they've done it so this isn't like this isn't Villa who have scored two late goals to knock Guardiola out of the Champions League semi-final it's a world-class team who are absolutely desperate in front of their home fans knowing that they must throw absolutely everything forward and weird stuff happens so like I, 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 it's very tempting to say this Man City team have a, a very flaky core and there's definitely some bit of dark arts that they should have been able to do that they should have learned from the games against Atletico they had the coaching from those games against Atletico to just kill those final few minutes and when it went to six minutes instead of just going oh I can't believe it's six minutes what's going to happen here they should have just cheated 
and everybody would be like, oh, like Phil Foden rolling back onto the pitch. He forgot to be Phil Foden rolling back <laughs> onto the pitch in the last six minutes. So maybe maybe that's flaky. Maybe that's the bit where it just went too much for them. Because it, yeah, it did seem that night against Atletico that they had kind of learned from past mistakes. But it definitely felt that that six minutes, uh, there was a lot more football played in that six minutes of injury time last night than there was in the entirety of the last 15 in extra time. For football's sake, neutral should hope Florentino Perez does not win the Champions League. The irony of this guy holding it aloft is a sickening thought, says Paul McGee. It's just, I mean, well, like, you know, the, the, the irony of any of the owners holding the trophy aloft is kind of sickening because all of them have, you know, their own uh, bits. Uh, Real and Ancelotti are the footballing equivalent of prime Kilkenny under Cody, says John Stapleton. Uh, Nigel Gallagher says it was the substitution that changed things Walker having to come off Cancelo having to move over to the right to cover Vinicius Jr and Zinchenko found it hard to deal with Rodrigo on the left um, did Cancelo not do well defensively but not very well with the ball I thought that like I don't know if you remember was it two games ago or was it three games ago when Gary Neville was basically having an orgasm about how good Cancelo was on the ball it was like oh are these guys really good or are we, were we rubbish and Cara goes oh I was a centre back uh, the that was when Cancelo was like kind of like original Ronaldo with the ball kind of didn't do any of that last night no yeah that's that's true like he was kind of a little bit absent from City's attacking plan when he's so important to them and I think possibly is in the conversation for their player of the season so yeah I guess maybe that's that, that kind of indicates maybe the the game plan and kind of like the, the stacked nature of the defence they were up against for a large period of the game I'm not sure like I think a couple of them had a, had an off night like, a, a, like Pep at the end just looked like he wanted to cry you watched the press conference what was he like? I was just very very down very very downbeat like I mean giving the usual sort of platitudes about needing to pick them up for the weekend and look it happens two late goals he, he just hadn't processed it like we spoke about stages of grief a couple of weeks ago when I came to Manchester United like he is going through those stages at the moment because this is like a massive massive hit for him so uh, is this a sliding doors moment in the history of Manchester City Football Club do they as a result of this double down and decide that they're going to collectively do this together is there just a bit where they're looking at Pep going I mean we literally hired everybody in the backroom team that you needed we have bought everybody you wanted we have spent half a billion on fullbacks and other players what's going to happen here are you are you, are you going to do this thing you're supposed to do this thing you had one job you have not done their one job is there a little bit of a is there and is he like this place is cursed this place is cursed what is wrong with you people what did you do what did you do mm. is, is, the, is, this a, is this like is our ground built on ancient sacred land what happened what did you do well, well uh, it's funny you should say that isn't it didn't Yaya Toure say that there was some uh, historic hex placed on uh, or Yaya Toure's agent or brother or something um, well no it wasn't Colo uh, somebody attached to Yaya Toure said that there was a, an ancient hex placed on on Manchester City all joking aside I don't think there's a hex I just think that um, they haven't got the right stuff so but is there any possibility that this leads to a fracture in the relationship I, I'm not sure I think it's just like Pep is now the boulder is at the bottom of the hill and like Pep's looking at that again it's just he's probably looking at, at that being like the effort of this yeah and he's got Klopp 
And Klopp is so happy and Klopp is in the final. Klopp is always... Signed a new contract. Exactly. He's going nowhere. Now, so the Haaland deal is done. We, we, we're given to understand. So that maybe gives Pep a little bit of excitement. The other sliding doors moment in this is the whole... Um, and it's important tonight, West Ham obviously need to come from behind against Frankfurt to go through to the, the final. And if they win that, if they win tonight and they win the final, they'd be in Champions League next year and you would expect... Declan Rice will stay that one year and, and run his contract down and, and be able to negotiate his way out next year for a, a fair value. Or do they just pay the £150 million for Declan Rice? So they get, this season, Haaland. Haaland's relatively cheap on the face of it for what you pay, the value of what you're going to have for the rest of his career. That deal could end up being £120 million after you include all the agents' fees and whatever. Um do you spend the, all the money and get the two of them in this year and decide, right, one last opportunity for Pep to get the boulder up the hill? And Declan Rice in midfield last night was what was missing alongside Erling Haaland? Well, they're definitely going to try something. And Pep, I think Pep's always got what he wanted, really, at that club. And that's one of the attractions why he went there. So if he wants Declan Rice, I think he'll get him. And I don't think Manchester City will have any qualms about it. It's it, it, They've made no secret about the fact that they want this one last trophy. And I, I suggest, yeah, that, that, that they would do everything this year if, if Pep is saying that that's what they need. Like, it has been commented upon quite a bit that they're... Not that their squad is thin, but they do rely on a on a core group of players in a way that maybe other teams, such as Liverpool, actually don't really rely on. That Liverpool can maybe rotate a bit more broadly than Manchester City can. Maybe Pep sees that as a bit of a weakness and something that he can improve on next season. But like we are, like you're picking, you're you are nitpicking when it comes to Manchester City here. It's this psychological bit as opposed to the playing bit. It seems that is the thing that's letting them down the most because, like they. They, they are a better team than, than Real Madrid it seems they're just not a better team of winners than Real Madrid which maybe is the whole point of a team so I'm not sure how much of a net gain they'll actually get from those additions which is a great irony considering Haaland's one of the best players in the world Well better than Jesus last night who didn't really do that much did he? No uh, well Jesus has been excellent over the last few weeks and like you would have expected him to carry that form into into the next little while like the big thing for Manchester City is that they, like Casemiro really just had such a, a big influence on the game in terms of being you know the, the shithouse on the pitch and they allowed that to happen to them I wonder is he like looking gla- looking over at Fernandinho and being like you instead of Rodri would have done uh, a better job just not a better job but like a more effective uh, job when you're when you're holding that lead granted his legs nowhere near the legs that Rodri has but I don't think anybody else in that Manchester City squad has that killer mentality the way Fernandinho does yeah yeah yeah. Like this is very much. They have a lot this of. This is, is lo- such hindsight stuff from from us, by the way. Well, like, they have a lot of grounds for complaint about the refereeing and the lack of bookings in the first half that would have eventually led to a card or counting down and the shit house would have stopped. Like, yeah, they have they have some righteous anger. Yeah, no, they do, and uh, like I think that they would have been pretty pretty annoyed with. Um, with the Casemiro uh, situation and and not actually the referee not going to his his book enough, but that's the hometown crowd. That, this is a, a tale as old as time. This is not a new thing. Like people don't even like get heard about this stuff anymore because it just happens all the time. Michael Collins says Laporte was a lucky boy. He should have seen red for the slap on Modric. Bobby Dwyer says I thought Kane had to go to City to win trophies. They could end up with zero this season. They're going to win the league. They're going to win the league, Bobby. Uh, don't worry. Um, Connor Pratt says two goals after Walker came off. Uh, Dave Cos. Is Kenny Cunningham still in the studio watching the game? He said to leave him there last night. He's actually asleep under the bench here. We don't want to wake him because, um, you know, he needs to get some coffee into him before he's uh, allowed on the show. 
Uh, you'd have to feel sorry for Grealish, says Daisha, dude. I have seen this doing the rounds, all right. I do feel sorry for Jack Grealish as a Villa fan, I think. You know, but um, this just hastens his inevitable return to Villa at a cut price, 25 million deal. And, Take him back. And like the, the rudeness of Mendy to stop his arrival at Manchester City. Like what a goal that would have been had that crossed the line. And everybody's talking about Jack Grealish as the man who seals City's path to the final. Yeah, there is obviously an upside down emoji alongside the Grealish thing because I, I think everybody got the implied. Uh, no one cares about Grealish. Um, or rice, uh, and then there's another there's another issue which has been raised in our YouTube comments, which we will come back to a little bit later on. But uh, it's time for us to um, to deal with something far more important. At 7:50 a.m., it is Thursday, the 5th of May, and uh, we take all of your correspondence very seriously. So somebody emailed, I don't know what the email address is. It info at offtheball.com. Um, uh, to off the ball sport. Hi, Owen. I have listened to you regularly on News Talk. You are very good and professional, but never, never take uh, on board anything that comes before the word but. You are very good and professional, but there is one thing that really bugs me. Have you a problem giving the British, or English in particular, credit? This morning you used United States in a segment. Why do you use UK constantly, yet use United States? A lot of your reports are based on English posts, for example, Premier League, racing, boxing, tennis, etc. Yet you rarely say the person in question is English or is taking place in England. You always, nearly always say in the UK. Why can't you say the words England, English, Britain, Great Britain? Especially when you use United States repeatedly. You have a huge responsibility in the position you are, do you not realise that younger people listening to you are influenced by your clearly biased reporting? Looking forward to your reply. Yours sincerely. That was sent on Friday the 22nd of April. And then on the 2nd of May to Off The Ball Sport. I sent you an email almost two weeks ago in regard to what I see as you very anti-English style of reporting. I appreciate you are busy. I am busy. I took the time to write an email about something I felt strongly about. I'm not naive enough to think you will change your ways because of my email. However, I would expect the decency and basic manners of a reply. I am now going to email the head of sport in Newstalk and also make a complaint in Newstalk about your disgusting actions. And the third one there was... Uh, okay, so I've um, prepared an uh, official statement in response to this. It's Shehan. It's spelt S-H-E-A-H-A-N, not S-H-E-E-H-A-N. Thank you. OTB AM. Right to the uh, big European action last night. Graham Hunter, good morning to you. How are you? Oh, no, no, no. Stop right there. Why is it now that Owen's finally been outed, no mention of the anti-Scottish stuff? Again, nothing. If you're taking time to, to put a magnifying glass in his behaviour, just go the full way. That's all I'm asking, even-handedness. Owen is uh, pro-Glasgow, pro-Edinburgh, but for some reason he just doesn't like There's Aberdeen. There's my point. Mm. There's just, my just something, something about it rubbed him up the wrong way. Didn't like the weather. Team's beginning with eight. How can we start like this after a night like that? Mm. I don't know what happened last night. We're trying to establish, is there flakiness or is it just that, like, do because certainly a lot of the reaction was, ah, oh, typical city, this is, ah, oh, look at Pep. But actually, Real Madrid are a team full of absolute winners who are cutthroat, who are uh, just coming off the back of a league title where they've really cantered to the league. 
and not gotten that much credit for it because of the difficulties at Atletico and, and Barca and you know many of those players have three or four Champions League medals so should we really be that surprised that they're able to dig something out when they're at home when everything's on the line like I realise it's shocking that it happens in such I, a short I, space of time but what, is, the, is are we too inclined to blame the give credit I, I don't no I think analytically but you blame um, I think is, is for your social media um, viewers the, the, the larger part of the people you're referring to were off the pitch by the time the game turned round. So Real Madrid are full of hard-bitten, characterful serial winners. But Chris and Modric and Casemiro, you know, were gone by the time the turnaround happened. And, and the, the ones you're talking about, Ubi Courtois, who's saved from Grealish, is astonishing. Absolutely. I, I'm not quite sure how he manages to get a stud to it and why that stud is enough to divert the ball. And Benzema, you know, people talk about a slightly quiet game during the bulk of it. That cutback on the touchline for Rodrigo de Dartin, for a guy um, who's playing through pain, for a guy of his age, to be not only that athletic and, and gymnastic, but to direct the ball in the only place where Rodrigo could get to it, I thought was astonishing. To convert the penalty again, having come into this tie uh, with a record of missing three of his previous five penalties um, makes Benzema it, I mean I, I I cannot believe that there'll be a different Ballon d'Or winner um, when it's awarded it, it has to be him but the reason I said blame when you mentioned the word needs to be taken away when we took a scalpel to this game to examine it at the beginning of the season I heard you Bobby emailed into you or wrote into you about Kane needing to go to City win trophies that needs a little bit more looking at. At the beginning of the season, or in the summer, pardon me, who did City try to buy? Not just Harry Kane. They, know, they knew they needed a goal scorer. They, they knew they needed a nine. They went for him. They went all in. Daniel Levy said, no, they couldn't get him. The reason that I think in November I, I had a little punt on Liverpool to win the title was I couldn't believe that if a series of football brains as... as impressive as there are around City said we need Harry Kane I couldn't believe that their season would not show a lack of that player not necessarily him but an outright goal scorer and if you sum up this whole tie um, which I, I mean I can't remember my jig isn't very good but it was two 90 minutes plus a 30 minutes what does that make two, does that make 210 no 220 I, I, 210 minutes Madrid were behind for 179 of the 210 minutes and in the first leg now, if you because you for a knockout semi-final tie, if you only analyse based on last night, I think it's a mistake. And, and City should have had a three-goal margin from the home leg, and and we kind of just tuck that away after that game, going onward to the Bernabeu. And I, I admit that having seen the way Real Madrid defended in Europe against Paris Saint-Germain in the vast majority of the two games, and then Chelsea in the second leg, and for little spells at Stamford Bridge, I expect the City to win. I can't deny that. I did expect going into the game that, that City would have the players to to keep the ball well, that they would defend better than Real Madrid, and that they would they would probably win two one. That was my idea, and and therefore we tucked away and, and forgot a little bit about the fact that they blew this tie at home. Um, they definitely did blow it at home, right? They also then appear to have been able to blow it in the last fifteen minutes of normal time, but. 
and this, this is going to sound a bit weird, but the first 15 minutes of the second half seemed to give Real Madrid a lot more courage about what the potential outcome was going to be, even though they didn't manage to score in that time. The, there was like a reservoir at the end of the game where they're like, hang on, we created a lot of chances earlier, we just didn't hit the target with them, um, which maybe gave them the comfort to keep going. So, like, there's a million different moments, as there are in any 210-minute game that you can point to that, that ends up um, on a knife edge like that last night. Is there a trend beyond the lack of a goal scorer? Because they, they scored loads of goals. Is there a trend in that over those two legs that Manchester City have that suggests that this is still short of being a Champions League winning team? That there's something still wrong in the makeup of the team or in what they're trying to do? Uh, that's uh, such a gigantic question that for once in our 20-something year friendship, I'm going to be a little bit tentative. For, for my taste, when you play Pep Guardiola football, you need to be exceptional at it. Absolutely exceptional. I think it's a slight high-wire act that it, it has less capacity to, to go wrong or have an off night or have mistakes than other more robust, more basic styles of football, in my opinion. I think it's extremely... You know, it's it's whether you appreciate it or like it or don't. It's it's quite high art. It's quite complicated, and I think that your your players are drilled in a way of acting and way of thinking, which isn't about you know we're in this, we're street fighting, we're, we're going to be at the, the 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 way in which these players are drilled for for each of the clubs he's coached. I'm not solely talking about Manchester City now. And my point of reference, I you know I saw more Barcelona football under Pep than I did Bayern Munich and City I would have seen more Guardiola time than when he was in Bayern Munich and I interviewed more a lot of interview players at Bayern Munich under him and at City under him I got to know the Barcelona players under him much more and they talked a lot about needing to be 1-0 up they they talked a lot about how you know they could struggle if they didn't go ahead and they felt fear they felt more till they just played in a different way and for my taste, City when they're they're a team of extremes. If they feel fit mentally and physically, there are very few teams that can cope with them and and, and keep up with them, keep up with their movements, keep up with the decision making. And it was movement um, a week ago that completely undid Madrid. I, I thought that City were able to dart into spaces that Real Madrid were bewildered by, couldn't keep up with, and yet there was a complete change of energy. Um, it, Real Madrid is a. I don't know how to explain the fact that if we're talking about you're talking about City's culture there, Real Madrid's culture. Um, we we now would be wrong to to say it rests in Cruz and Modric and Casemiro and Courtois and Benzema, because it was Camavinga and Rodrigo, um, extremely young, not brought up in the Real Madrid culture, who did extraordinary things in added time well it's, this is interesting right because I actually had to google some of the players on the bench last night for City that the unused players were two two goalkeepers Scott Carson still one of them Zach Steffen who we obviously most recently saw have that howler Nathan Aki everybody knows him but then it's Conrad Egan Riley it's Cole Palmer it's James McAtee and Romeo Lavia I, I hadn't heard of Lavia he's a Belgian I don't I, none of those players are of the standard of Champions League semi-final second leg I'm looking at my bench and I'm going to bring them on now the players that he did bring on obviously Sterling and Grealish Gundogan Fernandinho and Zinchenko so it's not like the bench was, was wasn't didn't have five players that he could use 
but it feels a little bit like the squad is not as developed as you might think for uh, uh, the, the billion they've spent. I think it's a handy thing to say. I think Cole Palmer looks as if he's going to be extraordinary. Your point is about last night. You know, Madrid didn't use their entire bench either, and I think that it's more about it was more that what you, happened they, they, from they those went, who came on. Yeah, exactly. But it's that they went and they got they went and they got Vinicius and they got Rodrigo and and um, and that like for for all of the ills at, uh, and the wanton uh, waste of money that Real Madrid have, have had in recent seasons. They have also tried to buy the best. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm. No, 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 Jared. Listen, but you, but you made two points there. Listen, you, you looked at City's bench and you had a slightly critical eye when you put a magnifying glass on those that didn't come off the bench. First of all, they didn't come off the bench. You know, so I, I, I don't think that's why City went out. Secondly, you're right that Madrid have had. They, they were extremely articulate about it, or Florentino Perez was, when they were signing Vinicius and Rodrigo. What they didn't say was it was caused by pain. It's Newton's law of every action and equal opposite reaction. When Neymar went to Barcelona, he had been due to go to Real Madrid. Real Madrid absolutely 100% believed they'd signed him. The pain and the humiliation for Florentino Perez of Sandro Rosé saying to Neymar, come on over here, the water's lovely, and Neymar going, yes. There might have been some financial incentives involved in it. Who knows? Football's strange. And Florentino said to his, his... his scouting staff, Juni Calipat particularly, get me the next three or four Neymars. We'll stick it up them. There's, there are, you know, there are very few, few things in life, never mind football, that are more of a motivation than being humiliated and saying we're coming back from this. So they, they went out and they said, you know, find us the Brazilians. Now for Rainier, who's at um, Borussia Dortmund, the experiment failed. But for Vinicius and Rodrigo, they've bought two young, very extraordinary men, very characterful men, um, who have a tendency to score or make huge goals. And in the meantime, Florentino Perez said, we cannot compete with the state clubs unless we buy the world's best young players before anybody else sees them. So it's been an outright policy, and it's been a policy to buttress the $800 million they've spent in the stadium. So the stadium looked quite nice last night, and I think the stadium hosted a small element of why Real Madrid won, because the fans... Although there are small smatterings of, of fans, I can't promise it was rumoured fans. There's brilliant footage in this country today of stuff that's a little bit like Istanbul with, with people just outside the Pernambuco scattering and trying to run back in as the, as the first Rodrigo goal goes in. But the majority of the fans not only didn't leave, they believed. It, it's, it's just a, it's a hypnotic condition. But how it gets passed to the youngers... I'm, I'm not quite sure because you can tell them but what we experience over our careers is we see that the absolute fire that we witness in great sportsmen and women usually is not part of a club culture. The club culture fosters it, grows it, but it has to be in them to begin with. They have to be made of the right stuff. How do you scout that? I don't know. I genuinely don't know. But the youngers have got it at Real Madrid and... City lost to a club last night that over the coming years, that arena they were playing in, I mean, imminently, it won't be a football arena. It's an events arena with the pitch sunken down and taken away underneath the, the uh, Paseo Castellano so that they, it's going to be, you know, rock concerts, it's going to be conferences, it's going to be exhibitions, and they're going to make money hand over fist. And finally... Instead of just buying the world's best youngsters, they'll be back to buying the world's Galacticos again. We're entering 
a Real Madrid era, although, in my honest opinion, I'll say it now and I'll defend it later, they're not going to beat Liverpool in Paris. Before we move on to that, just if I could do some like amateur psychoanalysis on, on Pep and dig a little bit deeper into this. Like when, when you talk about the first leg being the, the, the leg where Manchester City essentially lose this, like Pep afterwards was very, very positive, you know, like really saying, you know, we've beaten one of the best teams in the world. Very, very happy, like kind of reminiscent of that very famous Pep interview where he's like, I'm more happy than you believe when the reporter asks, you know, why, why aren't you so happy that, that, that there's always a sort of sense from Pep, uh, not always, but often a sense from Pep trying to put forward a more positive sense of things than you really believe they are inside his own head and you get why he does that you get why he wants to send out that message but I wonder did that message seep into his own consciousness and into the consciousness of the team that they were further ahead in this tie than they really were in between the two games it's, now we're only dealing in opinions mm. and trying to get in the head of somebody as complex as, as Pep Guardiola is he's like trying to do one of these Rubik's Cues blindfolded yeah. you know I, I think largely we'll be uh, urinating into the wind um, but but knowing him, away, please. my answer, my, my well, we, somebody's got got urine on their trousers, Owen, and it's one of us, um, and it's the anti-English one. Look, the, 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 the thing I would sorry about going back to that. The thing I would say about knowing him is 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 no. Um, the players are are wholly accustomed to Pep's idiosyncrasies and and what he says to the cameras, with whom he has. I hate hate relationship most of the time. He's not what he's saying to them, and I don't think either the players of Pep were in any way shaped by what he said to the public after that game. They live and breathe. For example, again, when Pep ever talks about his brand of football information, he only ever says it's about winning, not entertaining, not being cleverer than other coaches, about winning. And he says, why does he want to have the ball, possess the ball, and press the ball? He said, well, the further the ball is away from our own goal, the happier I'll be. I play, he said, I'm a much more defensive coach than people give me credit for. I don't want to let in goals. He came out of that game, I, I will guarantee you, disgusted that they didn't score eight and almost as disgusted that they let in three. And that's the way that the players will have approached this second. Like, and let's be, let's be frank, I think if we, if we try and uh, claw a, a city narrative out of what happened in the couple of minutes uh, when Rodrigo scored twice, my opinion is we'll probably be making a mistake because it, the first goal, genuinely, you, you can say who was moving with Rodrigo, I accept that. The first goal was utterly extraordinary. Benzema's action in that first goal should, should live in our brains like forever. The analysis of why City didn't go through will, will pale and peter out over the coming weeks. The, what Benzema did ranks, you know, up there with with stuff that, you know, we saw when we were kids and we still remember with the glow. That, that's my honest opinion. I think we saw utter and complete brilliance. Um, here is one that I just want to read you. Incredible finish of that game last night. If Real win the final, is there an argument to be made that the Cruz, Modric, Casemiro midfield is better than Xavi, Busquets, Iniesta? I suppose if you're locked away in a high security prison, you've nothing better to do. Yes, <laughs> you know, uh, you know that's fine. Man. I, I love it. I love it when this comes up. It's you know, it's a really easy way to waste a good interview opportunity. <laughs> you should. You should. Oh, I wonder what I wonder what Cruz and Madrid Casemiro would say at this stage. 
Well, they would, they would they'd probably say, who cares? When my experience of again a male and female sport is that when you get players of such elite ability, do you think that if you had the fortune of having Casemiro, Cruz, and Modric on the show, they would go, yeah, they were they were pants. You know, they they were wildly overrated. That that Xavi could barely play in any star. It went on off a shin in the World Cup final. No. Um, do they have different elements to them? Yes, they do. Um, are there are there deep similarities between Casemiro and Busquets in their relationship with yellow and red cards? Yeah, I think there are a lot of similarities. But, I mean, how would you? What, on what comparison points would you start to tick off the yeses and nos between Cruz and, and Xavi or Cruz and Iniesta? I think it's a nonsensical idea. It's just from from my taste, there are you know there are a vast array of differences. Height, physique, um, style of playing. But if you talk about achievement and character, then uh, for my personal taste, it's like you pay your money, you take your choice. If somebody wants to say, I prefer the attitude and mentality and style of playing of Chris Modric and Casemiro, I'll salute that flag. Fair play. Go on, enjoy yourself. Better than, well, that's just pants, isn't it? Um. Yeah, and look, it's a, it's a reductive way of talking about these, but that that trio, I think, is definitely going to go down in, in footballing history. For sure. Although the fact that, as you pointed out, they're off the field last night is um, is one of those little caveats that we need to remember. If they go on ahead and and, and somehow manage to overturn Liverpool in the final, then um, we can come back to that. Uh, so, I, I guess to to just reframe this again. Let's not just analyse the minute, let's analyse the two ties and let's remember that Man City were chronically in need, they thought, of an out-and-out number nine. Is there, this is, again, speculation, is there a point where Pep has had enough of this or is the singular desire to win the Champions League with Manchester City going to come to define him and this is his white whale and he sticks at it like Ferguson stuck at it until he eventually got there? First of all, I think he's quite happy at City. I think that um, the idea of him being utterly obsessed by the Champions League it, that diminishes a little bit in that um, what have they been? I forget the year before the final. So they're now finalists, semi-finalists. Were they semi-finalists, finalists, semi-finalists? I think a couple of seasons ago. I, I, listen, I'm, I'm reaching. I, I think that the, the, when you are near but you don't do it, I don't think the obsession absolutely grows exponentially. I think if you're analytical like Pep, you know that you're a little bit of luck or an outstanding performance for your team or a better striker away from, from winning it. I think the trajectory, if this if the nar- narrative weren't exposed about Pep's um, blinding obsession about winning the Champions League, and we were looking at a side that's never won it, having been final, semi-final, you'd be saying, well, with the addition of Haaland, this is coming. So I think the the... the the way we tell this story can be tilted a little bit because Pep is such a divisive, idiosyncratic guy and who, because he taunts and teases when he gets questions he doesn't like, <laughs> it piques everybody's interest. And those who don't enjoy him, don't like him, are, are loving the opportunity to rub salt in the wound. And I think that while he patently craves winning it, to, to think about it as something as an all-consuming obsession, the only reason he would stay at a club, again, I, I don't think that gets the measure of Guardiola. If he stays at this club where he's at now, which certainly for this season I expect him to do, he, he, he's, it's not going to be because he, he sits at night, you know, with, with, you know, who was that super fan in Alan Partridge who had Partridge tattooed on his body and images of him everywhere and 
and, and Alan runs away and shouts you're a mentalist. I don't think we're ever going to see little Foden going into Pep's flat and seeing tattoos of, of the Champions League all over his eyelids and run away and shout you're a mentalist. I, I also I also don't think that, that Pep is either tired or beaten. And, you know, I could be wrong, but I don't expect him to take a sabbatical. I do think he's happy at City. I do think he thinks he's close to it. Until last night, there was a distinct possibility of them becoming English and, and European champions. And and they lost they lost you know, lost a side which is obsessed too. Yeah. You know, obsessed and, and, and we treat that as a healthy thing about Real Madrid. No, totally, totally. And that and that has been incredibly successful for them. I, I was asking if there's a, a bit of a, a sliding doors moment then in terms of the transfer policy. Do they break the bank to get Declan Rice because they feel like as well as the striker that a midfielder somebody who could be an extra defender for them if they wanted to to inject that whatever it takes next season to make sure they get over the line is this the summer they do that or is Haaland the only thing that comes in in the summer and you think okay that's fine we're going to add that one piece because we're just one piece away I, I don't know their finances well enough to, to give you that and to be bluffing I don't think there's a point in doing that I think my my opinion is that the Haaland thing has been very close to agreed for some weeks um, I'll be fascinated I'll be absolutely fascinated you know, Holland is is a young man. We forget that because he's best deal in how he plays and performs, and he's bright and he's articulate. His agent just uh, died, and there's no question he'll sat and watched that last night. Um, th- does it influence you if you think Roman are still interested in pairing you and Mbappe? <laughs> Do you look at that last night and go, "Whoa, I want a slice of that attitude. I want a slice of that fan base. I want." I want a slice of that glory. I have no idea if it influences you or not. And and in business terms, I think the Real Madrid Haaland, I think they were second runners after City with Bayern Munich third. I, I personally don't think Haaland is going to Bayern Munich. I, I sat with people from a very high-ranking Premier Club a couple of mornings ago with them saying, in their analytical view, the Bundesliga is in decline and that the, the teams there are, are not exceptional. And that is part of the reason that Bayern Munich haven't um, gone on, trotted on this this uh, this tournament because they're being measured against slightly lesser sides week in week out, and therefore I I think Haaland will know that isn't staying there. I think that the, the City thing is extremely close. But if you want, we're all still slack jawed about that, and we don't have an opportunity to go and earn thirty million a season by playing for them. I just wonder speculatively what's Haaland's thoughts this morning, having watched that. So that might still be up for grabs, um, and if that's the case, then you'd have to assume City will load up elsewhere to try and. and I'm only, I'm only interested, Jer. I'm only interested in it if you're a youngster, if you're what is he, 21, and you're sitting watch that, and you know that there's still a possibility, and your world's been tipped upside down because your agent's no longer alive. I, I just, it just intrigues me. I'd like, I mean, playing at a brand spanking new stadium alongside the likes of Camavinga and Rodrigo over the next little while, that doesn't sound just too those, unappetizing. Those sort of the other thing those is though, that you're, you're the one then who becomes the messiah at City, where, you know, you have in your memory your your dad, those, that shirt, that colour. You know, you're the one who delivers for them what, what nobody else I'm could not deliver. Making, I'm not making a case that he changed his mind. I just think it would be naive to think that because all our industry is obsessed about his figures and money to, to, to for us to believe, and I know this, in fact, I believe you do too, that, that footballers also think about what will my working, once once the money is equal, 
once I'm about to become, you know, a, a billionaire, how will it be? What will living be like? Yeah. What will What's it be the weather like? like? I have a family. What, what, what will the football be like? What's the culture like? What's the golf that, course like? Touch. Well, I don't know. No, don't. Don't be annoying me now. Come on, we got it. We got it. We got to finish. I'm really, I'm really, I'm Just, really glad he was sitting on his sofa at home with his baked beans and toast watching that. That's, you know, hi Gareth. Where, where's and um, there's no prospect of another minutes football for him or Eden Hazard for Real Madrid ever, is there? Well, no, 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 no. Don't, don't pair them. Don't pair okay. them, Jared. There is, there isn't a prospect of a, a, a another minutes for 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 Bale. In the in the view and the voice of just about every Madridista, but Ancelotti's different. I, I couldn't swear to you that Ancelotti won't won't allow Bale on for a minute. You know, at, at one of the thank you games for the league because Ancelotti is is made of different stuff. Would he be just about the only person? Who, he probably would care more about that than Bale would do. I I, I hate seeing Bale injured. And I wish him the absolute best, um, except in any putative playoff for the World Cup between Wales and Scotland, when, you know, I hope he's got a back spasm then. Um, neither he nor his agents have um, in any way covered themselves in glory over the last year. And the mudslinging they do to Real Madrid, it takes no account of the way in which um, this situation has degenerated on their side as well. And I if, if Gareth Bale is sitting watching that at home last night and, and not going... She was a wow. I wish I'd even you know been on the bench, come off the bench for that. If he feels no pang having watched that, then then he's made of even more different gravy than I thought he was. But don't pair them with Hazard. Hazard has had the plate taken out of a you know a metal plate taken out of an ankle injury. That boy um, made a huge mistake about eating crisps and drinking beer in the summer he was joining Roman and, and joined the club fat. Since then. It's not been his fault. He's, he's been dogged by injuries. He's been superseded by players who are performing out of their skin. He wants to be there. His contract remains. I don't think he'll accept a move. His contract lasts. Bills is, is up. Um, I I think it would be sensible for Hazard to move on. I, I, I think that it's one of these things that just hasn't worked. But I go back to the fact that his current problems today date back to a moment in a Paris Saint-Germain match at the Bernabeu where Real Madrid were trouncing Paris Saint-Germain and Meunier stepped on um, Hazard's ankle and since then his ankle's been, you know, jungle. And his attitude and his behaviour and his willingness to be ready for duty differentiate himself from Gareth Bale, who for two-thirds of his career needed to be defended and lauded and praised and better appreciated. And then for the final third, um, has made the bed he's lying in. He phoned it in for sure. Graham, great stuff. Thanks a million. It's uh, Graham Hunter giving us some thoughts there. What do you think? Well, yeah, well, th- that last element of things on um, Bale and Hazard, I think it's pretty obvious that it's it's not going to be uh, final. That's going to see those two players uh, partake. And I think that I mean they've ha- had such a, a great couple of rounds now. At this point, it's going to be pretty similar to last night. The only change that you might see is like does does someone like Camavinga actually has he played his way into the starting team or Rodrigo maybe even uh, probably not is is the answer, but. Like Liverpool are going to be entering that game with a little bit of caution about what the team sheet is actually going to be and a little bit of uncertainty about 
what sort of team they're going well no sorry what sort of team they're going to face is pretty pretty obvious yeah. they're going to have the line share of possession they're going to have most of the chances and Real Madrid uh, will probably come up with one late chance to equalise it once Liverpool are one up or something start of the second half Real Madrid couldn't score but did have more possession against a City side who we expected to have more possession it was, it was a weird kind of something 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 happened I don't know what it was yeah. 21 minutes past 8 this morning here OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day uh, up next we're talking hurling with uh, Aidan Fogarty first though let's hear from the football pod's very own Tommy Rooney during the ad break talking about his intense preparation ahead of the triathlon that members of Team OTB are competing in next month Team OTB are taking on triathlon this June it's all in partnership with Whoop the personalised digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential check out whoop.com for more OTB AM. It's 25 minutes past 8. We're turning to Hurling. Aidan Fogarty is with us. Aidan, good morning to you. How are you getting on? Morning, lads. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Um, let's talk about the match at the weekend before we talk about the afters. Uh, a lot of, I guess a lot of the actual match itself has been overshadowed somewhat. Um, what's, what's your instinct now about where Kilkenny are and uh, on the evolutionary scale, the style of play that they're trying to get to how successful are they and how much are we reading into the fact that they got back into the game against Galway um, only to to lose it at the very end like what's the truth about where they are at the moment yeah um, I think some of their some of their old frailties kind of came back to back to haunt them a small bit I think um, I think up front Kilkenny are struggling and have been struggling um, for long periods uh, of games over the last couple of years they're very reliant on, say, certain players. So if I was looking at the weekend, uh, over the years you had TJ Reid, and we always said TJ Reid are making them tick and take TJ Reid out of that team and out of that forward line particularly and see how, see how good they are. Now, TJ is probably coming to the end of his career, possibly. You know, he's 34, 35 years of age. Um, you know, you wonder how much is left of them. I think there's, there's still something to offer obviously, and uh, I think being taken off the last day, he, he won't be too happy, but I suppose we have Owen Cody stepping up to the plate now, and if you take Owen Cody out of that forward line, nobody else really stood up. Um, so for me, it, it, it's really the forwards uh, uh, are dropping, are, are, are not scoring enough for us. Um, Owen Cody was the main man on Sunday for, for Kenny, and he was very dangerous, very good. Uh, Walter Welsh uh, was, was very good as well. But after that, you know, Billy Ryan got a goal, just handed to him on the plate. Uh, Keown came off the bench, was kind of irrelevant, really. Uh, Pori Welsh was curtailed, and I was surprised, really. Uh, he was on the ball a, a little bit, but in fairness, um, instead of back for Galway, uh, really hurled him up a stick. And that's where I felt the game was kind of lost, and we were kind of hurling in patches. But just more so Galway letting them back in the game. Um, I felt Galway were a five or six team uh, point better team than than Kilkenny on the day, and we're lucky to get the goal. Last year we were lucky to go get a goal in a semi final as well. And really, it's just the heart and the grit and the determination and the drive that we always associate with Kilkenny that kind of shone through. Um, so for me, it's it, it's up front really. Our backs, I felt in fairness to them. They stood up, they cleared a lot of ball um, and they, they did feel more, a little bit more comfortable playing the short game. But in saying that, there was a few times the ball went over the line. Owen Murphy made a few uncharacteristics, mistakes, you know, a hand pass uh, that went astray, a ball out over the line. So I still think they're getting to grips of the short game uh, in the high intensity of championship. And in the league, they're getting away with it maybe because it's not as intense, but in championship, 
it showed up slightly, the small little mistakes, they're getting turned over and they're getting punished because of it. And that's what I feel that is still happening to Kenny. They still haven't got uh, to the short game 100%. The TJ conversation is really interesting. Like it feels this is a very new conversation. It feels that nobody would have had these doubts around TJ last year, or even in the club season that we saw with with Ballyhale. Like, it, it, am I just missing the conversation? Has this been happening for a while, or or is this very much reacting to, to what's happened last weekend in particular? No, I think well, in Kilkenny, I think anyway, and the word on the street is, I suppose, what's left in TJ. We're all a little bit worried <laughs> because, as I said, he was he was the leader for Kilkenny for so many years, and such a brilliant and such a talented hurler. But the reality is, what what's left in TJ? Um, I suppose looking at him on Sunday, he got a ball there, he put it over the bar. Other times, he would put the head down and, and took on the goal. You know, just just small things. Now he's been carrying a knock. He's been playing injured for Belly Hale uh, for the last couple of months. Uh, I think it was a grind. He got an operation on it. So he's struggling with that. And when you're at that age where you're struggling with an injury, other little niggles tend to come at you as well. So he is struggling to find a bit of fitness. But in saying that, well, at the top level, at the club scene, you didn't really see it. But when you go to inter-county level, at the top, top, top level, that's where you're found out. And it's that 1% of where you're actually really at. And then... Also with that, it's the mind thing. When you get to, when you're getting when you're getting shoving on, when you hear little rumors maybe of what's left in you, when you're taking off in a game, your mind as an older player plays tricks on you, and you're more kind of worried. As a young fella, you don't care. It's kind of off the cuff. You're young. You're kind of you, you don't mind anymore. But when you're older, you take everything to heart. So I just felt in that in the t- time when he took the point instead of the goal, if that was TJ of old, he would have been just so driven and in his head that I can get this, but. Maybe there's small doubts creeping into him. But in saying that, he is injured. He got 35 minutes into him. He could start. He probably will start the next day. And there's definitely two or three more big games in him. But it's just, it's, it's creeping up on him a small bit, I think. And maybe that's the problem for Kilkenny now is their remaining fixtures are Dublin and Wexford. So they've got, in inverted commas, the easy fixtures out of the way in their first couple. So, like, is, is it a, like you can't really rest him at this point. I mean, and it sounds like he could do with a couple of weeks off. Yeah, no, I can't. You definitely can't rest him. Um, it's coming week on week. Hmm. Um, we we're after losing now against Galway, so we're under pressure. We're under pressure yeah. going to Parnell Park, um, a serious place to go to. Dublin will be out of their skins, and that's going to be a tough, tough physical game. You know, after coming out of a physical game against Galway, we're going to go into another game against uh, Dublin and Parnell. They're going to be hitting us left, right, and centre. And you know, there's, there's there's no room if you get injured. At this time of year, especially if you get a bad injury, you're basically gone for the season. You see John McGrath or Tip, you know, his Achilles gone for the season. If you pick up a niggle and a knock, it's going to be so hard to to kind of curtail it and get your confidence up and get and get flowing. Because the last thing you need when the matches are coming ticking fast is an injury on your mind. And when an injury is on your mind, you're kind of you're, you're kind of minding it and you cannot mind it in these games because they're just coming so ticking fast. OK, what did you make of the handshake? <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, if, uh, if Steven, Steven Spielberg would be proud of Arthur E's camera work, I think, uh, on Sunday, um, he should have got an Oscar for it. But look, there's, there's so much talk about it. It overshadowed the game in ways. Um, I don't remember what happened in the game. I'm gonna, I, I, there was a goal at the end, there was a bit of a dodgy free. Yeah. What else happened? I can't remember. <laughs> like, if this, if Kenny Gallagher meet again, will they even show the match? I think they'll just be straight on Cody and on Henry for, 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 for 70 minutes. But look, I, I think there was something in it, lads. Um, and I think it's, uh, there's, there's a few scenarios. I think, look, Henry has hurled for Kenny for 12 or 13 years. 
um, won whatever his 10 All-Irelands um, just like a Kenny man at heart loves his county loves playing for his club and he's after going to Galway and he's after taking probably a couple of secrets out of the Kenny dressing room. He's probably bringing, you know, things that we would have learned over the years. And rightly so. You know, things you learn, you're going to implement on your own team. So he's gone to Galway, uh, up to Connacht with all this knowledge. Um, the second thing I think, now this is probably from a Cody's perspective and I'm not saying, like, it's hard to, it's so hard to read Cody, but the Bob O'Keefe Cup, Brian Cody wants that Bob O'Keefe Cup staying in Leinster. I feel. I feel he wants a Kilkenny to win it. He wants a, a Wexford to win it. He wouldn't, he'd be a traditionalist. He'll be old school. He'd feel that that cup should be staying in Leinster and not to Connacht. Um, that, that's the second thing. And then you have the match itself. You have, like, you had that last couple of minutes of play where Donnelly got um, a goal that he shouldn't have got. Uh, there was probably a hostile atmosphere in, in Salt Hill. I played in Salt Hill before. It can be very hostile. The, the, the fans can get in on you. You know, the crowd is roaring. The ball is poked out straight away. Um, a free that wasn't a free, was it not a free? Um, and next thing, just put over the bar and to blown up. And I'd say Cody was absolutely fuming with the free. I'd say he thought it was definitely not a free and that the referee should have even blown it up after after full time just for a draw. So you can imagine all that going on. The crowd on top of you and he's, he was making a B9 for Callum Lines. And next thing... Henry kind of caught in the way of that and I'd say the red mist was down over Brian and that he was he was fuming the ref and next thing he saw Henry and said in his own head he, I, I would have felt that he kind of said you should be down with Kilkenny or you, you should be you know you're a Kilkenny man and next thing we're up here in Galway after getting beaten by, by a Galway team you're managing um, and in the heat of the moment I think he just kind of let his guard down slightly um, and you know, three minutes later, I think that would have been a different handshake. And that's right. Like, if I was up there and if I was managing and if I got bet by a pint that I didn't think it was a free and it was over the bar, I'd be thick. And I don't care who I'd be shaking hands with, I'd be angry. And I think players in general are, con- are competitors. And Brian always has a managerial battle on the line as well. Don't forget that. Uh, he had it with Jerry Cunning over the years. He had it with Davy Fitz over the years. I think Dalo tried a shoulder into him there. Yeah, Dalo, yeah. 2004 or 2003, around that time as well, with Claire. Dalo would be practically Brian, playing right corner back sometimes. <laughs> he would, he would. He'd be sneaking up, uh, giving, him, giving him digs. So for Brian, it's always a managerial battle on the line as well. And that kind of feeds into the team. And if you ever look at the qualities of the Kenny teams over the years, and it's a credit to Brian Cody, um, it's drive, it's heart, it's determination. And I always say that a team reflects the manager. And I think Brian has a persona on the sideline. He wants to win the battle on the sideline. And he wasn't going to give in to softness, shaking Henry's hand and saying, congratulations, well done, a big chat, a big overall friends. No hope. That's not Cody. That's not Cody's style. No. Well, I was just, just going to, I didn't realise that. So, like, uh, uh, the... The, 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 the bit about the Baba O'Keefe Cup and the tradition of you know Leinster teams competing for the Leinster Trophy so like in terms of those Leinster counties that Kilkenny would have had a rivalry with I would have assumed maybe Wexford would have been the, the, the biggest one but actually from what you're saying there in Brian Cody's mind Galway is is, is the real is, is, is the real source of not hatred but distaste for Brian Cody within the Leinster Championship Well I suppose like it depends who you're playing it depends um like the competition between the, the teams. If, if we're beating Galway every year, year in, year out, and not even giving us a game, then they're not really becoming our rival. Um, it depends, 
um, Wexford kind of came all of a sudden they beat us in a Leinster final next thing all of a sudden Wexford were our biggest rival you know and, and Cody had a hatred for, for them and whoever team is beating you you have a hatred for like when Tip beat us we didn't like that and so, so it, it, I suppose it differs from year on year but definitely Brian is a traditionalist and he wouldn't like to see the, the O'Keefe Cup going to Galway and Galway would have took a scalp out of Kenny over the years in 2005 Roderick flicked the ball over at Kennedy's head, you know, uh, for for to beat us in an Ireland semi-final. Um, they beat us in 2012 in a Leinster final. So they have taken scalps out of Kenny, and I just feel that Brian wouldn't like to see that cup going going to Connacht, and he, he'd like to see like Munster or Munster. He'd like to see Leinster or Leinster, and he wouldn't like to see it going out of the county. That's pretty interesting. I, I've one last thing about this, right? Um, the aftermath, as we uh, you know, we're still talking about it four days later, uh, and that's just because the soap opera is spectacular. Uh, there's been criticism of Cody. You know, he should have been a bigger man. All that they they hurled together, they soldiered together. They're they're comrades. You're basically saying, I mean, come on, that's not that's not the case. We would all have been exactly the same. That's the whole point here. We're playing to win. Um, so in Kilkenny, is everybody broadly supportive of their man? I think I think in Kilkenny uh, the view the view is mixed. I think everyone has a little wry smile on their faces going around. Um, everyone has their own opinion, and um, look, I think uh, people have the utmost respect for Brian Cody and they have the utmost respect for Henry Shefflin. I'm just saying, in my view, in the heat of battle, you know, friendships. No one is there to make friends at the top level, and Brian is after winning whatever he's twelve, thirteen Ireland Ireland's. He's not there to make friends. He said it before. He's not there to make friends. And anyone who's making friends and being everything is jolly and everything is happy, you're not going to win a whole lot. So, in Kilkenny, everyone respects Gal- or Henry Gonta, Gonta, Gonta Galway, and you know they're they're not saying he should have went or he should have went. Everyone has a different opinion. That's that's what I'm, I'm probably trying to say. Yeah, the, the, compel- the competitive nature. But no one's blaming is- Cody for for being a little bit thick in the aftermath of the game. It's like he just got beaten by uh, somebody who he you know shouldn't be getting beaten by in his view and so therefore that's okay I guess yeah like in my view as I said like everyone has their own opinion people like some people say like he should have had a chat he's have to win in 10 or Ireland with him you know great friends and all that um, but I just say in my view uh, it's the competitive nature and you know two seconds after a final whistle after getting beaten by a pint I don't know if you're going to be all chummy chummy to, to, to anybody no um, you, you know so that, that that's my take on it I think 10 minutes later they probably would have had a right smile and probably said, look, we'll get you again or whatever the case may be. But um, definitely not that, not in that scenario. But I do think, from a Cody's I think it did slip from a small bit. I think he did get caught up in the moment a little bit. I think he was fuming uh, because Brian is not a man to bring attention onto himself um, and never was. And he knew cameras were going to be on their handshake. So that's why I feel he did let it slip a bit. And Henry, if you look back at the, the second uh, video I seen where he looked across at him, he was kind of thinking, what what was that about? What, what just happened there? So that's where I think the, the conflict was, just for them couple of minutes. But then, I think, three minutes later, it would have been just not a minute. Uh, we're going to go through the contenders to the throne, I think, Aidan. We're going to go through, like, if we, were, if we asked you to do your power rankings, it would have been Limerick at number one, so that's boring. So what we're going to do is do, do our top five contenders to Limerick this year in the All-Ireland Hurling Championship. So do you want to take us through these five to one? Yeah, um, sure. I think look, it's probably easier to start with the the, the team. I think that's that's uh, capable of um, of beating Limerick. Um, in my view, and I still think it. I still think Watford are equipped um, to take down the the Limerick team. 
I think they're closing a gap uh, a small bit. I think last year uh, they were beaten uh, in the semi-finals as one twenty-five to seventeen points. They were beaten by eleven points. This year they got it back to three points. Now, albeit they kind of got uh, one or two late goals, but still got it back to three points. Um, I think Watford are on are on the road long enough now with Cal. I think they have a settled dish enough team. I think their confidence in themselves are high after winning the league. Um, I think the players themselves are buying in to Liam Carr's mantra. I think they do work hard. Uh, very, very pacey team when they get going. And they have they have game changers. You know, they have Hutchison inside. They have Kylie now inside as well. A ball winner can control it out. Um, um, Barron in midfield as well. Austin Gleeson. Like, they really have household names now. Mm. And it's coming to the stage where I think Watford need to get over the line. And if they don't get over the line in the next couple of years, it'll start to slip again. And if they win one, they could win two in, in a couple of years. And I just I just feel physical. To beat Limerick, you need to be physical. I think you need to get goals and you need to go at them. Now, that's not saying you're going to be breaking every tackle, but you need that in your locker room. And I think Watford do have that mentality and as I said they're playing as a team long enough now and they have a good panel and a good um, a good bench there as well and you're going to need that Who's number two? Number two we're talking about them a couple of weeks ago I think Clare are really really good Ooh, um, Right. I had my I had my doubts about them but I think they're really good and I think they're number two for the reason that they're interchanging their forwards first of all so that's going to keep Limerick thinking. So you'll have Shane O'Donnell could be in, for, in full forward. Peter Dogan could be out half forward. Ian Gavin could start anywhere. Tony Kelly hasn't even set, set the scene alight, even though he's still scoring his three or four points. So I think the forward line are really, really good. And I think they're... If you look at Peter Dogan's body language, he's hitting lads. He's aggressive. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's an angry-looking man on, on the pitch. And you need that. And I think the half-back line of McInerney, um, uh, Connellan, and um, I can't think of the other fellow there but um, yeah McNerley and Connell and I can't think of the other lad I think they're set up really really well and I think they're whole, they, they have a good strategy of how they're playing Okay. they know they know if a guy is going in midfield they're either holding or they're following um, they have their sweeper system if they need it they don't tend to play it and they can really really mix it alright so who's three? Um, three I'd probably go for Galway um, I think there's more in them yeah. I think they're, they're I think um Against Wexford, they let Wexford back into it. They should have won that game by, in my in my view, four or five points. They should have beat Kenny by four or five points. Um, they're, they're they're strong and they're physical as well. Um, they need a bit more belief. They need a bit more drive. They need a bit more intensity. But that's things they can work on. Okay. But I think Galway in general have the ammunition, and they took it to Limerick. They're, they were probably the contenders in 2019, 2020. Yeah. Um, so that's only that's only two or three years ago. Yeah, so. and it's a different team. It's, I suppose it's the same like Real Madrid. Several of the important characters of the team are still there. So who's next? I'll go for Milwaukee Kenny then. After right. that, yeah. I think so too. I, I've seen them written off. Some of my friends are like thinking they're not going to they're not going to make they're not going to make it out of Leinster, let alone the Leinster final. But okay, so you're. You're getting them through to the Leinster final, then I suspect. Is that right? I'm getting them through to the Leinster final. Now okay. they might top the table, but they, they they could come second. But lot like it's serious two matches that yeah. they have to play. Um, That's so what we want. I, I, I think Kenny. I think the, I think if they get it right, I think because they'll have the all the aggression and they'll have the intensity, they'll have all that. If they just get their hurling right and, and get a few players playing 
playing on top form on top of Adrian Mullen he hasn't hit the heights that he, he has hit Billy Ryan there's so much potential in Billy Ryan uh, if you get TJ Reid back to 90% of what he was they're a force to be reckoned with okay. and, they'll be, and they will be angry and I think they're the physicality as well I, I, I'm dying to see them against Limerick and who's five? yeah five then I would probably go with Dublin you know and I'm just I, I'm saying that because I'm thinking who's going to come out of the two provinces and I think it'll be Watford I think it'll be Limerick and I think it will be Clare maybe not in the order and I think it will be Galway Dublin and Kilkenny alright so right. is my fifth Good stuff. Aidan, great to have you with us this morning. That was brilliant. Thanks a million. Thanks, guys. Labert. That's uh, Aidan Fogarty, Taggy, giving us some thoughts on Handshake 8 and who's going to make it out at this stage. They will be good quarterfinals, semifinals. Oh, absolutely. They'd be excellent. Can't believe we spent so long on a, on a tabloid subject this morning. <laughs> it's 8.45. Uh, John Duggan is with us. John, good morning to you. John Owen, how are we doing? Very well. We're going on the road with the football pod. We're going to Castle Bar. Owen... We were thinking, should we send Owen to Castle Bar again? But he's barred from Mayo. After barred his, from Castle Bar, yeah. After his anti- after the last couple years. Hmm. Well, I, I, that seems to be like a safe haven for me, McBurns, everywhere else, though. Got to be careful on those You made a mockery. Mm. The, yeah. The football pod is going on the road. Oh, uh, and you should go. You should go and maybe... You should. Turn, you should be you the should turn up, that night. You should turn up on disguise or something like that. I've been, I've been back to Castle Bar since. Twice. Yeah. And here I am. One yeah. piece. And did you ever tell the Mayo fans what you actually think of them? Like, and what you say off-air about them? No, I wouldn't tell them that, because off-air I just call them every word under the sun and I absolutely despise them. The football ball of Paddy Anderson, James Dunhu, is hitting the road this summer. We want you to be there. The first stop is the Royal Theatre in Castle Bar on Thursday, June the 2nd. Owen Sheehan will not be there, but Paddy, James and Tommy will be. They're going to dissect, analyse and celebrate Mayo football as well as Championship 2022 in the usual football pod style. That's the football pod with Paddy and James in Castle Bar on the 2nd of June. Tickets are on sale now. otbsports.com forward slash event to get yours. Stay tuned to OTB for details and more shows to come. John. Only one game in town, lads, in terms of stories, which was last night. It was incredible. It was, if I'm allowed to say this, Jer, a religious experience. Because we know the football is a global religion and nothing else. Um, a fluke uh, justice uh, no I, I my kind of feeling about it was that bus journey said a lot to me and I think Real Madrid went to war and they would not die and that's why they won there was, there's an intangible there's an intangible to it to me there's a twice in a week where the bus journey seems to have been the turning point for Everton as well it's like is that all it, is that all we need is just a, so <laughs> a good bus journey Kildare supporters get your white flares out make sure that when eventually we get to the Leinster final if that happens that um, the road the M7 that would be pretty cool if that happened wouldn't it and no, but there, there was something. There was there was a character. There was a the whole legacy of Real Madrid. The the, the players. This is not Zidane's team. There was, there was a will there, and you could see City wilting uh, under the Klieg lights of of the Bernabeu last night. So they did it against PSG. They did it against Chelsea. And like maybe you could argue that City last night did nothing wrong. And if Grealish scores, then we're having a different conversation. But I suppose the narrative is that Guardiola's now lost six semi-finals. The narrative is that City have lost to Monaco, to Leon, to Spurs in these big Champions League games, and they can't get the job done. Now, whether it was that because they weren't far enough ahead in the first leg, should he have taken off to Bruno last night? Because I think he's he is the leader in the City team. Um, lots of questions to answer, but like it was, it's just they've got to have. Florentino Perez obviously is the architect of this um, 
thankfully foiled uh, Scooby-Doo style Europa uh, Super League, European Super League. And they're talking about doing away with the, the second legs. Actually, the away goals, you know, you didn't seem to miss them. But you've got to have this, folks. You've got to have this in your life to, have, to be able to get up and talk about this the next day. It's yeah. brilliant. No, it's sensational. Did you see the theory on um, Twitter recently that Scooby can't speak, that it Shaggy so high that he thinks Scooby's speaking and then everybody else just hears Shaggy talking in the weird voice and assuming that the dog is talking to Shaggy again. That's my favourite theory. A lot of LSD. That makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah. It makes more sense than like the, the live action version. Well, you, you, the dog's talking. There's definitely some munchies going on given the amount of sandwiches they eat. Scooby uh, snacks. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely some munchies going on there. Um, and who's, who's Scrappy then? Is Scrappy also like a figment of his imagination or... I don't know. The the theory broke down at that stage. Uh, James Doyle says, City fans complaining about Casemiro and studiously ignoring Laporte, slapping Modric and getting away with it as per. And Anthony Ryan points out, Aston Villa have more European Cup wins than all the sports washing project clubs combined. Wait till we tell them about Knott's Forest. We, didn't, we, we haven't, we haven't uh, spoken about the slap enough, really. Like Laporte slapping a guy and then going down. That was genius. That was the high point for Manchester City last night. That's how you do it. But uh, I mean, obviously, he got the memo. Uh, is he good enough? Is Zinchenko good enough? Like, no. You, you think that you, you really think, like, you think that there's quali- a quality deficit in this team? Like, but there's also a rust deficit. There's a rust issue there. And Zinchenko looked uncomfortable. You think? Yeah. And, like, like, the thing about it is, Real will now go into this final, guys, fresh. Because they've won La Liga, they've wrapped yeah, it up. Yeah, nothing to do. Um, well, how will this affect City in the Premier League title race? Obviously, we'll have all the uh, games on OTB Sports Radio. And uh, Liverpool could end up with all of this. They could end up with the whole rounders, Matt Damon-style pot. Or they could end up with uh, maybe two of the things. So y- yesterday, if you asked Liverpool fans who did they want to win last night, they would have said Real Madrid. But it, what maybe they didn't consider is that if Real Madrid got through that Manchester City might be a little bit broken heading into this title race. And I think that last night is a double whammy. Sorry, um, Liverpool fans would have wanted Real Madrid to win anyway, sorry. They, of course they wouldn't have wanted um, Manchester City in the final for quality's sake. But I think it's a double whammy, I should say, for Liverpool now that they also have Real Madrid in the final as well as Manchester City being a little bit vulnerable in the title race because of what happened last night. I, I think that there has to be a little bit of a... How will the uh, City oh, players crap. feel at the moment? They must be just absolutely gutted. And the Premier League, if, if Arsenal or if Spurs won the Premier League or Villa won the Premier League, we would think of the, probably the best thing of our whole lives. And now City win the, the Premier League might be a little bit soulless for them. Well, think of the Carlo Ancelotti cigar. They celebrated like mad winning the league. I think that's one of those things that um, they never take for granted winning the league. So I think they'll still enjoy that and it is reasserting their dominance and I think they're going to respond to what happened last night with by crushing everybody else in the league for the rest yeah. of the season. It always feels to me though Pep with the Premier League trophy is a little bit like the guy who's in a new relationship who doesn't actually want to be there. It's like, I'm very, very happy here. Really, def- this is definitely the situation I want to be in. What, what level of projection is going on here, Owen? Absolutely none. It's like, I'm very, very happy with this with this shiny thing over here. I don't want the other shiny thing. All this right. is definitely a shiny thing that I want. Okay. You, this is, these are the trophy relationships that you've had over the last... Well, obviously, yes. <laughs> of course. What can I do? Wow. I mean, <laughs> what a weird analogy. I, I, said, I, I said how it looks. Owen Sheen, great with domestic what? trophies. I get, I, get, I get how it looks. Okay, good. Owen Sheen. Owen Sheen. Wins all the domestic trophies, but in Europe, hmm. okay, it was, bad. It, was, yeah. it was a bad, bad analogy. Let me so think when of, you're away for a weekend. Let me, like, let me think of another way of putting. There is no um, other way of putting this because go to Bratislava, yay! <laughs> 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 Pep, 
Pep is pretending to be happier than he really is, basically, <laughs> when he poses with that Premier League trophy okay, in three okay. weeks' time. Well, Could have just said that. Well, good, good man. Uh, it's 8.52. Uh, is there anything else where we get to virtual insanity? Let's get to the golf tips. Virtual insanity. You have entered Power Drive. Oh, wow! 11% profit going into the Wells Fargo Championship starts tomorrow just outside Washington. Starts today, because you know what day it is. Uh, but it starts 11.50 today just outside Washington. Rory McIlroy, the headliner this week. Um, and the headline tip is Matt Fitzpatrick for 22 to 1 for €3.50 each way. Matt Fitzpatrick never won on the PGA Tour. It's going to happen soon. It could be this week. Like, he's playing really well. Seven top 20s in his last nine starts. Didn't put very well the last time. I'm going to give him another chance. This is a tighter course. He plays well on tough courses. This is a course, the TPC Potomac, where you need accuracy. And Matt Fitzpatrick is the headline tip this week for 22 to 1 for 350 each way. England's Matt Fitzpatrick. Second selection, Denny McCarthy, is 80 to 1 for 3 each way. He's the local boy. He's from the area in Maryland or Maryland or whatever way you want to pronounce it. 49th in the FedEx Cup standings, much improved. One of the best putters on tour. Top the putting staff in 2019-2020. Left the home crowd behind him. Is really happy about his game. Denny McCarthy, I think, is a good each way bet this week at 80 to 1. Doc Redman is 125 to 1 for 3 each way. Was third on his last start in New Orleans in that team competition. Said he had a blast. Played in this tournament um, when it was called the Quicken Loans National in 2018 and it was only his fifth PGA Tour start and finished with a 64 was around 30, 32nd. Doc Redman is a 24-year-old former US amateur champion that I think is a talented guy and he could definitely surprise him 125 to 1 this week. The final two, Keith Mitchell, if you want an accurate player, 50 to 1 for two each way. He's second off the tee this season in terms of strokes gained and has been a bit under the radar because he hasn't played for a while in the stroke play. Four top tens this year and dug in for 150 each way at 55 to 1. Another very accurate player was a better amateur than Scotty Scheffler, Will Zadatoris. Hasn't really translated to the PGA Tour because he can't put very well. But if he holds a few putts this week, I think he's got a chance. So Doug Gim, uh, we have Keith Mitchell, Doc Redman I really like this week. Denny McCarthy and the headline tip for virtual insanity is Matt Fitzpatrick. It starts today, folks. If you're going to have a flutter, never bet more than you can afford. That's this week's Virtual Insanity. You have entered Power Drive. All right, that's uh, more from John Duggan, of course, on Saturday afternoon on Off the Ball on News Talk, and you can read his stuff and get virtual insanity on otbsports.com. And a reminder OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Um, on Owen's anti British response, uh, wow, ha ha ha, fair play, Owen. Hard to believe Jack Grealish uses email. It is hard to believe, especially a big game last night. And then we missed we missed the trick. <coughs> Eric Doran says, come on, you really needed to narrate that letter while I was playing Eminem Stan. Mm. We did miss a trick. Yeah, We okay. should open these things to see that the, the creative process would be better if everybody was involved. The hive mind. Yeah. All right. It is time for the second ever Have You Seen with Joseph Conroy. Joseph, good morning to you. Well, silence. Frozen. Morning, how's it going? Yeah, oh. yeah you're not frozen. Hello. How are you? Very good. The old internet's getting warmed very up. Very good. You can hear me. Congra- congratulations, Anz. That was very big of you. Um, fair play. Thank you. I thought so too. <laughs> uh, where where are we starting? So this is this is my first time doing this, uh, Joseph. So what happens? 
it's our brand new kind of revisiting documentaries kind of at random, but also because they kind of bring up interesting themes for us to do a bit of a deep dive into. That's kind of the elevator pitch. Sounds good. So Last- the late call up this week is uh, Katie, the 2018 Katie Taylor documentary. Uh, which just came to mind to me the other night after kind of the fallout of the fight and kind of soaking it all up and taking in all the reaction. Um, it's actually, it's only, it's amazing that it's only from 2018, considering how much has happened since then. But um, just kind of, there's a few, few points I want to get to. I might just start off by setting the same way the documentary itself sets itself up by just playing you kind of the opening sequence here, which is Eddie Hearn speaking about his first interaction with Katie Taylor. At midnight, the 4th of October, 2016. She actually sent me a direct message on Twitter. Hi, Eddie. I hope you don't mind me reaching out like this out of the blue. I've been seriously considering turning pro the last few months. I think I could do for women's pro boxing what I did for the amateur sport. Of course, the pro game is impossible without a great promoter. Hi, Katie. I've never been involved with women's boxing, but let's talk. From the amateur game, someone who's achieved that much always deserves the time to at least hear her side out. I've never met anyone so driven, forget boxing, in life. You know, it got moving very quickly. You know, what's gone on with her life, it's not something really I've talked about. You know, it's personal. It's been a, a tough few months. I needed a change and ultimately I do want to bring women's boxing to a new level. Do I know Katie? Probably not. I don't think many people really know Katie Taylor. Right, so that's the opening sequence to the documentary, Katie. It's available for one ninety nine on Amazon. Uh, YouTube and Sky have it as well. It's paywall there, obviously. So um, if you're a subscriber, you can get it. And um, we figured this was a good thing to look back on this week. Um, Ross Whitaker made that. Um, you know, you'll be familiar with Ross from some of the other great Irish sports documentaries over the last decade or so. He made a brilliant one about surfing, which uh, you should... Um, about particularly surfing aliens down in Clare. And I guess uh, interesting that I, I wonder would he say the same thing now, mm. Eddie Hearn, that he doesn't know her? Has she become less guarded as that period of her life has receded? Well, I, I, pre- I presume, and like uh, Joe, like I mean, you've, you just rewatched it. Like I haven't. I've only I only saw it when it came out. Like the, the whole point of the the documentary, from my perspective anyway, and the thing I learned the most was the seclusion that that Katie had, I guess, opted for in terms of her training in Connecticut. And as far as I'm aware, that hasn't changed over the last little while. So, her Do you feel, though, that like she's become less guarded? You know, that the, the there's more of... I mean, we still don't know that much about her, her personal life. And just recently in the press conferences or in the interviews, she was talking about um, people don't ask the mailboxers the same questions. And it's true, they don't, you know? Yeah. Um, so do you feel like you know more about Katie Taylor now than you did? No, I don't think I do. I, I'm not sure, Joe, what do you think? But like, I, I think that that seclusion, as I mentioned there, I think kind of create, like, uh, like helps kind of create that. We'll get him back in a sec. Yeah. Um, and 
I think from Eddie Hearn's perspective, that might be the same thing. I'm sure over the last couple of weeks, he feels that he knows Katie Taylor a bit better now than he has done at any other point because there was a massive push behind this. You're, you're in New York together. You're probably spending a bit of time together. But I, I suspect that he's relatively hands off in, in that regard. And it's just, you know, the, the public dealings that, that he has with each other. They got a very professional relationship. And I'd say that's the way she keeps it with, with everybody. I'd say, um, her coach Ross is probably one of the people that knows her best. And I think you kind of got that feeling from the documentary as well yeah Joseph's back Joseph we were just Morning saying again. we were just saying we don't really know Katie Taylor um, um, Eddie Hearn had said there at the end of that clip that you know none of us do and I was making the point that we probably still would feel as a public the same yeah it's really interesting I wonder as well kind of like how much do we want to know Katie Taylor um, it's kind of it's uh, we have like another quick clip here which is Ross uh, Whitaker actually speaking to Owen when the documentary came out and um, I think it's interesting for a couple of minutes we might play it quickly and I might just come back to a couple of the things that he says this is a bit of a super quote of his chat with Owen back in 2018 Katie is a fascinating character without necessarily being a colourful character mm. you know and she's incredibly quietly charismatic which is one of the first things I realized when I got to spend the first little bits of time with her is like she's so charismatic and without saying anything. Katie had kind of always been interested or had for some time been interested in a documentary because I think possibly, you know, she feels like her story should be documented in some shape or form and it just had never worked out. Um, And my approach to things, I suppose, is quite fly on the wall or I sort of call it witnessing. You know, you want to witness the story as it happens. And we kind of felt that that would work better for her, you know, to just kind of be there um, to kind of gauge for her as more of an introverted person when was enough, you know, when okay. when to push it and when not to push it. Um, she just bought into it. And thank, I'm, I'm delighted she did. I think this film's kind of important. You know, it's important to have been able to document someone as as uh, noteworthy as Katie is and as who's kind of a legend of sport. Um, and to be able to kind of have that document there into the future because I think it'll be something that people will look back upon when they think of Katie Taylor in the future. And she said to me to start, I want it to be the truth. I want it to be raw if it has to be raw. If we're going to do it, let's do it properly. And we could agree on that, obviously. Yeah, and uh, look, I, I guess that's the whole point that it is something that you look back on this week in the aftermath of her um, beating Amanda Serrano in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, exactly, and kind of He's talking about this being potentially an important thing to document and kind of, I like as well the way he kind of phrases, use that phrase, bearing witness, the idea of kind of being the fly in the wall, watching this amazing story unfold. Um, back in 2018, there is kind of, he's talking about sort of, and I think part of what they're using that Eddie Hearn clip there to allude to about games now, Katie, is like this all kind of came a bit against the backdrop of Rio and against the backdrop of the, breakdown of relationship with her father who used to be her coach um, and kind of uh, her parents separating so that's kind of in the background of the film even watching it now kind of on a week like this going back to it it's really interesting how much kind of Rio is this kind of big narrative in it and that's it's a big narrative and kind of at that time was like these are big questions that need to be answered and obviously she's kind of taking part in this project where we're getting these insights that we don't typically get from her especially kind of given her personality and given that she's not sort of this kind of big like uh, presence who's kind of always coming out addressing things or in the media but um, why I think it's good to go back to this week is kind of how quickly all that's kind of moved on and almost the goalposts have changed uh, this 
piece goes from her kind of turning pro, like we've kind of seen there, and sort of up to her first world title, which even, I think kind of what's most interesting is kind of seeing the lows of her rise, because it's kind of like, you've got this kind of rocky sort of going up through the ranks in these different arenas. Uh, she has kind of this peak where she's on one of the AJ undercards. They're doing a real good job building her up there like, okay, we got to get you to the U.S., got to get you to the U.S. So she ends up in this card uh, in the Barclays Center kind of towards the end of 2017. And just on kind of what Ross said there about bearing witness, I just want to play another clip I think is really interesting, kind of hits the nail on the head, in my opinion, of why this film's really interesting to go back to this week. This is her after she's won in her U.S. debut, fighting on an undercard, not even making the TV um, schedule. So this is kind of effectively a dark... Uh, what you call like a dark match whatever uh, not really seen uh, very kind of underpowered opponent uh, this is the immediate reaction in the bowels of the Barclays Centre and just the end of the clip is kind of a follow up meeting with our manager uh, Brian Peters afterwards but um, yes have a listen to this we're all just a little bit I suppose disappointed you obviously would like to have a little more opposition just to, to keep advancing like all, they're all bitching. They don't get a break. They're not getting fights. They're not getting treated equal because they're not f-ing fighting. The girls are always saying they're not getting the opportunities, and when the opportunities do, do come along, they should be jumping at those opportunities. It seems like with the women, there's a huge gap. It's like you've got lower level, and then all of a sudden, it's like they're up here. There's not much middle ground. Have bigger challenges to get ready for the title fights. They get higher up the card, yeah. and obviously they get on the main TV, yeah. the mainstream TV. But the opponent has to be good for that, which the last one wasn't. You were nearly willing to fight for free to get a proper opponent, which people yeah. wouldn't understand. Do you know? Do you remember saying that? I no? do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a surprise. I got a check after. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, from there to selling out MSG, it's quite the journey. Exactly, and that's only the middle of 2017. You've got the pandemic shutdown in between now and then. But um, where the film leaves us off as well, it's like before the two pursuit fights and that fight last week, which are really like putting everything else aside. That's what I mean about looking at kind of even the focus that people looked at Katie in 2018 as this sort of, there's a bit of a shadow um, in the wake of kind of the failure to get the second Olympic gold. Uh, to kind of where we are now all that kind of Rio just kind of seems like a footnote and a bit of a kind of process she had to go to to get to where she was actually going rather than this sort of obviously at the time I'm sure now she she still speaks about kind of um, kind of still being affected by that but obviously as time goes on as she keeps achieving these amazing things that's just kind of going further and further into the background and kind of uh, a less important part of the story Um uh, just one other kind of aspect of it that I thought was really interesting, again, kind of looking at the frame of kind of going back after the weekend was we kind of, we get nuggets like she does kind of, she addresses her family situation in the film and kind of speaks about sort of, obviously it being a tragedy from her perspective, but kind of that she's on good terms with both parents. Um, and she kind of speaks a bit about sort of her personality, like she's living in uh, rural Connecticut. She seems to be happy kind of, off the beaten track she talks about how sort of there's these like real nice shots I say took a lot of time to probably get um, versus her in the kitchen kind of saying oh I meet a few people at church at the weekend uh, maybe I should start trying to make friends and it kind of leaves it there they're kind of like the little nuggets you're getting into kind of that kind of the Eddie Hearn sort of Dewey gets to know Katie but uh, one thing that I think is really interesting in the idea of kind of this being an important piece that's kind of there as a fly on the wall and a bit of a kind of dead presence just taking things in 
Uh, there's this clip of kind of this ritual that she does, uh, kind of a pre-fight prayer with her family, with her mother uh, leading the prayer. So again, you can have a quick listen to this and uh, we might talk about it afterwards. Lord, I pray now for Katie tonight, Lord God, from this moment, Father God, before she even leaves this room, that your angels, Lord God, will be summoned, Lord God, that they will be posted around our Lord God. You will guard and protect her now in all our ways, Lord God. She has to win this world title fight because she's staked so much on it. If she loses this, she is on the trajectory of Rio. And Lord, I pray for supernatural strength for her. I pray for accuracy in our punching, Father God. I pray that she will rise up. That's Johnny Waterson's voice there in the middle of that as well, Joe. Yeah, and again, you can hear he's saying sort of, oh, if she doesn't deliver the world title, kind of, this is another potential Rio. That was kind of the way people were looking at all this and the idea that it might have been a bit of a folly to go pro and sort of, um, looking back, it's a bit of kind of, like her and Eddie Hearn have kind of built it and people have come type of thing. And like we heard that other clip, the frustration of kind of the gap between the lower level opponents and then kind of you're going into a shark tank at the other end and now she's kind of swimming with the sharks. But we can look back at this kind of period. But um, I thought that was really interesting because obviously you hear kind of that she's a very religious person and that she's kind of like that her Christianity is very important to her. But I think in terms of what the documentary is setting out to do in terms of kind of witnessing what's happening. Those scenes backstage, I think, are just kind of, it's kind of amazing to see. It's one of those kind of standout moments from the film and kind of there's tears uh, streaming down her face while her family kind of have their arms on her and are going through the prayer. And it's kind of, it's something as well as thinking about like that whole, like I wouldn't be a particularly religious person. I come from kind of a fairly bread and butter kind of Catholic background, but that, that whole kind of, um, sort of almost mills in Christianity and this idea of kind of God's angels are with you and you're almost kind of like a warrior of God. Um, it's probably not something, it's, it's probably something we hear a lot about kind of in combat sports and you hear of a lot of fighters with kind of very deep faith. This is almost something that maybe we're more used to hearing from kind of American fighters. And it's interesting as well as even kind of like the psychology of sort of having that faith behind her and kind of leaning on it. I think it adds a lot to her story and lots of kind of understanding her personality and kind of her being a bit of a different sports person. So I think kind of all this stuff, like half the documentary is kind of the amateur career. Um, and then the second half is kind of this pro stuff where it's kind of the fly in the wall stuff. And for me, I think the first half will be great in the future as I kind of, because it has brilliant archive footage and brilliant input. But it's this second half, I think is just so interesting. Um, where you're just getting these little nuggets and just picking up these little things. Um, but uh, yeah, like even I heard Eddie Hearn the other day speaking about her walkout, which is kind of, it's almost kind of after the facts, looking back and thinking about that walkout. Like, I don't know what you guys saw when she's coming out, that kind of slow, methodical, almost kind of like, uh, almost this kind of trudge to the ring. Like, were you guys thinking she's soaking it in, she's feeling the pressure or what, what was going through your mind at that stage? There's a possibility that she's <clears throat> terrified and there's a possibility that she knows that she's going to uh, destroy her opponent and there was probably no middle ground in what I was thinking at that point. Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, it was Deontay Wilder who came out in the thing that was three stone that yeah. left him absolutely exhausted. In that the ruined his entire boxing career. Exactly. I, I, uh, that aside, I try not to read too much into the walkout because otherwise it's just a means of getting you from the dressing room to the ring and um, 
I don't know, you, you're imbuing it with some sense of meditative quality, something where, you know, John was talking about he him having a religious experience watching the football last night. Where Do you think this is part of the religious experience? It's like, it's either part of the religious experience or it's like trying to ice your opponent. It's sort of, I don't know, I saw it's really interesting because we've never really seen it. Even I saw Eddie Aaron speaking afterwards, I kind of, he was watching it going, what the hell is this? Kind of, we've never seen this. We've never seen even kind of like, this, it's sort of like a grandiose gesture in its own way, that kind of, almost kind of like the Undertaker, like slow, slow, slow walk, staring you down. Um, Eddie Herman was also saying as well, he kind of got a message in the morning of her walkout song, which is, um, it's called Awake My Soul. It's by this kind of Christian music collective. And it's this kind of like fate power ballad. And kind of Eddie said he was like, listen to it having breakfast and like in his head he was going Jesus we should not throw on a bit of you too or something but he was like I'd never say it to her but kind of that was going through his mind but um, I thought it was interesting I thought kind of it was just watching those kind of prayer scenes and watching that it kind of just clicked together as sort of maybe understanding a little bit better her mindset going into these things but um, just kind of an example of what I think is a great job that the documentary does particularly that second half on the pro career of just sort of um, like documenting this yeah, yeah. incredible thing that's going on. It, look, it, it, it obviously is an incredible thing that's going on, but um, in the aftermath of the Masters, thinking that it was a bit ridiculous to be, you know, praising Jesus for making the ball to go into the uh, hole, is it not a bit ridiculous too to be like, make my punches accurate? I don't understand. Probably, I, don't, I don't understand the Christianity behind that. It probably is. And also, you'll see her saying like, the most important part of her preparation is that pre-fight prayer. So like, I might, I mightn't understand it or it mightn't do anything for me or for you. Same way we were speaking about the master a few weeks ago, but obviously it clicks for her, whether it's sort of. Is the most important part though, I I do like the most important part is the sit-ups and the push-ups and the miles running and the hundreds and hundreds of rounds of sparring and the, the strength and conditioning and the tactical and technical stuff. Mm. Like that, that is the most important stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, like it, it obviously is. And I, I do think there's like a slight difference between Scheffler and Katie with how they talk about it. Scheffler, maybe Scheffler's just like ridiculously horizontal and just like, yeah, you know I mean, God just pulls the ball into the hole. Uh, whereas with, with Katie, it's like a very sort of active thing. Yeah, no, and I, I did feel like, uh, so when she was an amateur, certainly we would have heard this the whole way yeah, through it's London. it's less now, right? It completely disappeared yeah. until the documentary and then it has started to re-emerge, I think, recently enough. So I was thinking a, that. that, I was... that the, the publicity afforded the faith is is certainly a conversation because we, we, we never spoke about it. We, we spoke about it in London yeah. a good bit and she spoke about it a good bit every single interview yeah um, and then it kind of disappeared and it was it was uh, backgrounded significantly and I, I, like I, I find all that stuff a massive turn off I definitely find it for any sports people talking about their faith it's like I, I'm just I find it difficult to because it seems very selfish generally and I'm not talking about Katie in, in specifically in this but for the golfers in particular it's like I am being rewarded for my faith I'm being given millions and millions and millions 
uh, versus the other people in the field. I am being chosen here, which is, yeah. seems nonsensical. But That's not the whole point of religion. It certainly is not the point of, of the, the original message of Christianity, which is love thy neighbour. I know, but what about the psychology? Love thy neighbour, but take all the money from the golfers. Yeah, no, I get that. But what about the like the psychological element of all of this? Isn't it like that's that makes as little sense as 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 many other things in in sport? The idea of how psychology actually works and what actually motivates you, what actually is is keeping you on uh, an even keel when you know that you are a few strokes clear and about to wear that green jacket, or you know that the you're fragility about to get the of the head human mind. Off you by one yeah. of the greatest female uh, boxers of all time, and I, I find that psychological element of it so fascinating, and I find the arc of the important of uh, the the religion in Katie even more interesting because that for me suggests that there's been a different uh, a d- different thought process when it comes to the importance of religion in her preparation for sport not just in her life but in her preparation for sport this is a, se- a centerpiece of it just on that quickly um, one I think like yeah this is kind of it's an interesting chat to have I think that's why it's so interesting to have this footage kind of fully understand that mindset and I completely appreciate everything you're saying Jer but also that's kind of part of why I wanted to highlight that clip is because I think it's interesting and even just kind of looking at it a bit more coldly just understanding that psychological state of mind and kind of the impact it can have then just on the sort of broader thing like yeah it, I was did a quick kind of Google just when I was doing a bit of a dive into this yesterday and like she's not it does like she's not she's very vocal on sort of the whole uh, about her fate and there were kind of some older comments or stuff like oh you can you can uh, we're open to everything apart from God these days that type of stuff but um, more recently she doesn't seem to be very outspoken on social issues so I don't know if it is kind of a case that her fate is more kind of she wants to keep it more of a like private in a way thing as opposed to I'm telling people what I believe I'm not trying to push it on other people uh, it's interesting saying she's speaking about it less but there was and um, we probably don't have time to play it but there was a more recent clip from the zone in kind of the build up to one of her recent fights on YouTube where she's talking again kind of it's like talking very um vividly about kind of the specific pieces of scripture about kind of being a kind of soldier of God and him sort of guiding you type of stuff. Uh, that's not a direct quote and I don't want to do the quote uh, like it's a, Joseph, yeah. that's kind of like the underlying message. Is that more kind of militant, kind of like the angry uh or like more Evangelical. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like her Twitter profile has, uh, her, bi- her bio rather has uh, pieces uh, of the Bible reference in it, for example. So, yeah, that's, that's definitely a, a big part of, of who she is and, and what, she, what she believes is, believes in. Maybe it's her Instagram um, bio, because her Twitter bio says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. Um, Liam McKiernan, Liam McCourt, right, sorry, Liam McCourt, when we talked to her, was similar. I, I do think the uh, link between. Uh, faith and combat sports is interesting and we should come back to that at some point as well okay so that's the um, second episode of this Joseph well done you're recommending everybody goes and digs that out basically yeah exactly and it's um, it's up it's up a few places it kind of it's as far as I can see it's not available kind of uh, free anywhere but it's one ninety nine to watch it on uh, Amazon Prime so that's probably the handiest place to get it but um yeah, I really recommend, especially this week, especially the second half of it, just kind of going back and sort of re-watching it, knowing what we know now, post-Persoon Voice, yeah. post-Masware uh, Garden, with okay. kind of even the Grove Park question hanging over everything, kind of, um, yeah, definitely, it was very interesting. And also, if you are, if you have seen it um, and don't feel like watching it again, I definitely recommend digging out that interview with Owen from a couple of years back with Ross Whittaker. That was very there's a lot of very interesting stuff in that as well. All right. but, um, yeah, that's. Have you seen Katie 
by uh, Ross Whitaker and uh, Joseph Conroy this week. Uh, 20 minutes past nine here on OTBAM. A reminder brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're going to be joined by Manchester City Academy coach Jamie Carr after these. But first, here's Kenny Cunningham last night off the ball talking about how Craig Bellamy used to mercilessly troll opposition defenders on the pitch, including Kenny himself. See you back after this. When has a nibble at you in passive... St- yeah, I, yeah, and I wouldn't have maybe ignored him, but I wouldn't have got involved. Would have got the opposite, maybe you know, cracked cracked the joke or whatever, like you know what I mean. But wouldn't have, wouldn't have, wouldn't have to give that impression, right? He's got under me skin here. I've got mm. him where I want him, type thing. There was a few of those around. Bellamy was probably one of probably the worst of them. Constant, constant talk for the. <laughs> for the <night. laughs> he really, I found him quite funny. He was a lovely player. To be honest, he was a fantastic. Wasn't player. he just? Oh, a little, little bit underrated. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Injuries as well uh, kind of uh, uh, held him back. But his top club, when, when at his best, yeah. yeah, really good player. But he was constant. Did you like playing a high line against Bellamy? You did. <laughs> well, the problem in those days, we had keepers like wouldn't leave their six-yard box, let alone their, their 18-yard box. So we, if we had a few of the sweeper keepers back then, may, maybe I would, uh, I'd be more inclined to keep that high line. But no, it was always the case. So maybe if in doubt... Drop it, you know, yeah, you know what I'm saying, Joe. <laughs> Let him have it to his feet. That recovering midfielder, I was lucky. Well, playing for Lauren, I was very lucky. The likes of uh, yeah. Roy, Roy, do that job for you, Mark Kinslan and Matt, and you know, all of them. All you had to worry about was the ball in behind anything in front. They'd be kind of ratting off the front, so yeah. I got spoiled there a little. So, what's the flavour of Bellamy talk? Ah, no, I, just, I wouldn't. I, I couldn't remember. No, listen. No, it would be the case of how, how bad are you? <laughs> <laughs> How are you earning a living? How are you earning a living from this guy? We belonged those lines. He wasn't even been rhetorical. That's the, that's the way he was. Even back then, it would have been very, you know, the old. It's a, it's cringe from now. I would never got involved. No, they, how much? Sorry, how much? You, what, what? <laughs> it was the big money thing then, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Back yeah. then, but he would have been. He would have been like, I didn't realize how bad you were. I knew you were bad, <laughs> but I didn't realize how bad, how bad you were. <laughs> Which I actually I found quite funny. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd laugh at that. I'd be like, "Yeah, you're right. You know, I'm, I'm worse. I'm worse than you think." And he'd have a bit of a smile back. I'd say he, he might. He might now, but he, he might. To be honest with you, he might. But that was his. That was his thing. I think he probably used it himself as something he he maybe needed to get the best out of himself in some respects. Like you know what I mean. But it's funny to watch him at this. I've seen you see plenty of players bite on it and stuff like that. OTB. A. M. 24 minutes past nine. You're very welcome along to uh, OTBAM. We've been here since half seven. We've kind of, I think, talked out most of the uh, issues around last night, but there's probably still more to come. If there's anything you'd like to get off your chest, you can use the hashtag OTBAM. If there was a weight goals, would City have played differently? Asks Michael Kennedy on YouTube. Possibly, but would they have played differently in the first leg as well, knowing that three Real Madrid goals would have been detrimental? Yeah, it would have been that game over, three away goals. Maybe, maybe, maybe they would have because like any goal would have would have killed off Real Madrid. Then at that point, or uh, certainly a couple of them. Uh, here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you across the day. You can get OTB Sports Radio. I think everybody, we assume everybody knows this, but you can actually listen non-stop to our content on a live stream if you just tell your smart speaker to play OTB Sports Radio. Uh, you can also get it, of course, on the app on the OTB Sports app just click the button OTB Goal today is at one o'clock is Jack McCaffrey Leaders Questions uh, with Stuart Lancaster is at three our retro panel is when GA meets basketball at four OTB Gold is Nigel Mansell at six and then the show is live tonight with Nathan and John Giles and all the rest that you would expect on a Thursday uh, Paddy Andrews Instagram yesterday had an interesting picture of himself Stephen Cluxton and Jack McCaffrey Jack McCaffrey 
but they they'd all be well certainly Cluxon at the moment would be in the team. We don't know. We don't he know. Would. Like I mean, he would. I mean the he would. But Wexford never tested out the new guy last week, and uh, maybe maybe he is a new Cluxon and. Uh, the, the, we will be doing nostalgia pieces <coughs> in 35 years where it's like remember his first game when uh, when he played against Wexford yeah what's his name I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to go there as well I was like Keep well uh, it's only because you look so uh, I was oh, like, I, see I, real, I realised that's what was coming as soon as I started talking I was like I know what you're going to do here I know what you're going to do here. I apologise. That's really bad on my part. Uh, I'm a cruel bastard. Yeah. And still your internet skills are so weak that... Um, I've got also like 1% on my laptop. Okay, quick. Well, you better use that 1%. Uh, race against time. The third choice goalkeeper is? Well, I know who it's not. You know. Not Cluxton. Not Comerford. It's not Sheila and it's not Comerford. I know that. It's. I, I apologise for uh, for my ignorance on, on this. Uh so uh, the big story overnight was of course that uh, Steve Hodge sold his um, uh, Diego Maradona jersey for 7 million sterling and whatever the exchange rate is at the moment but it's the most price highest price paid ever for a jersey worn by anybody there was a Babe Ruth jersey that sold for 5 million previously and obviously um, American sports memorabilia is just a completely different scale to anything that's ever happened when it comes to sports memorabilia um, in football because you know you would have thought that for whatever reason baseball seems to be the thing that has the most value and it doesn't ever seem to go down there's a big market in Japan and so therefore you've got two massive global economies interested in buying it but the Maradona jersey went for 7 million they thought it might go for 4 million Um, I do wonder what, what Peter Shilton thinks of all this I'm dying to hear Peter Shilton speak about Steve Hodge justice. getting 7 million quid his teammate I mean the right thing for Steve Hodge to do would be to give everybody in the team a little cut of that wouldn't it you know divide it 11 ways or maybe the two subs John Barnes come off the bench did somebody else come off the bench they probably might only have still one sub so maybe it was 12 of them divide it 12 ways that's the fair thing to do because they were all out in the pitch they were all equally humiliated by Maradona on the day wronged by Maradona you know apparently he did get grief in the past in fairness, uh, Steve Hodge has been building up to this since that moment. His entire life has been like changed. His autobiography was the Mount Maradona shirt. That was the name of the time. <laughs> like, not my amazing career where you know I played for uh, England in a World Cup and it was decent. He was a decent midfielder. Um, played for Villa. Played for Spurs. Like, uh, poor man's Frank Lampard with mm. like maybe one tenth of the goals. Um, Grant. Grant but now he's thinking rich on the back of this it's incredible like I mean the, the the Shilton bitterness around it all I would say is at complete odds with someone like Hodge and the the I'd say this, the sense of nostalgia and joy that he's felt down through the years you know this, this little piece of history that's sort of you know devastated about the moment as it happens in real time and for a couple of days or weeks afterwards but getting over it like I guess most sports people do or Shilton is still carrying this grudge and now it's time for him to pick up a new grudge, which is give me my money, please. Um, fair play to him for selling the jersey and for taking the money. Yeah, a hundred percent. Was there some suggestion that there is more than one? There was a suggestion that he wore two in the match, changed at half time, and that um, uh, the family and the estate have the the other one, which you know, 
Uh, if that was the case, is that the case? Because apparently the there was a last minute consortium which included the Maradona Museum that tried to buy this one. So if they had one, why would they try and buy this one too? Yeah, yeah, it's a good, good point. Also, is this the most money uh, anybody's ever going to make off Diego Maradona? Like, so, so seven million quid. Is there any other piece? Of boots. The, the boots. Boot, the boots will go for more. Well, um, in in a pub in Kilcullen called the Hideout, they used to have Dan Donnelly's arms. He was the first ever heavyweight champion, and we would drive past, and I would always be a little bit freaked out by the fact. In there, Dan Donnelly's arms. It was a story. It was true. They had them. I don't know if they were mummified or whatever. So, you know, maybe if the, there was a grave robber who was to get in and get his left hand, the hand of God, yeah. <laughs> would that would that make more than seven million? Yes, I would suggest it probably would. An like in succession, in succession, doesn't um, doesn't the dopey son doesn't he buy does he does he buy something? It's somebody's appendage. Oh yes, that's good. Oh yes, he does in the new season. He does. Yeah, that's what I think. That's, that's the only thing I could see going for it. Um, yeah, so seven million. Is there anything else from Maradona at that point? No. OTBM is brought to you live. David O'Hanlon, by the way. By Gillette Labs. Okay, good man, David O'Hanlon, yeah. It just came to me there. And where does he play? Who's he play for? What's his club? He plays in goalkeeper position for Dublin. OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And we wish uh, David all the best with uh, his career. In 20 years' time, we'll be talking about his Hall of Fame career. Now, let's move on. I'm delighted to say Jamie Carr is with us. Jamie's been on the show before talking about... Um, his exploits as a runner um, little did we know it was going to inspire him to become a rower Jamie good morning to you how are you hey guys how are you doing you're a little bit crazy I have no, I'm sorry <laughs> I, I don't normally start interviews by um, telling people stuff like you're a bit crazy but you're a bit crazy <laughs> well you called me a runner there that's one thing I'm definitely not <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is all for charity right we should maybe start with the bit that explains exactly uh, where the craziness comes from um you're raising money for uh, kids' cancer charities, and um, it's obviously hugely important. You, you, you did a, a series of, of um, extreme marathons, but um, rather than most people would probably at the end of that go, right, that's my bit done, you're like now properly inspired to even take this further. Yeah, so as this year, as part of my campaign, I'm doing two challenges. I've completed the first one, which was the six marathons in the Sahara Desert. Um, and now I'm moving on to the next one, which is a solo Atlantic row across the Atlantic Ocean later this year. Um, and like you've already said, it's all in uh, in support of Cancer Fund for Children um, who are helping children all over Ireland with um, with support for after cancer diagnosis. How were you after the six marathons in the Sahara physically? What, what was the condition like? <laughs> well, it was really, really difficult, probably more difficult than I had previously expected um, and sort of two things really got me on day one I suffered with uh, some variation of heat stroke which was uh, a, b- a bit of a challenge because I've done quite a lot of training in the heat chamber at Man City where I work so I didn't expect that that caught me off guard a little bit and then the other thing that just absolutely killed me was um, blisters my feet got absolutely shredded so between those two that was what the uh, the whole mental battle was uh, was about that week and um, yeah luckily enough I just about got through it How do you manage to keep going when you're suffering from heat stroke and from blisters? Great question um, I think when you, you've, you've come this far you've trained for a year literally there's no other option than just to keep going it's literally it's not really a choice you have to make you just keep going and um, 
But yeah, when, when I know that the money I'm, I'm raising is going towards such good causes as well, um, and I've actually seen directly how this money is being used to help young people. Um, Cancer Fund for Children have actually introduced me to to Alex, a young guy who lives around the corner from me in Baldoyle, um, and he's one of the one of the young people that are benefiting from um, all the money that I'm raising. Um, and actually, Alex has, has just been given some great news about um, he'll be the first person in Ireland receiving treatment for his leukemia, this new treatment. So, yeah, Cancer Fund for Children are helping these people and uh, just uh, and everything I sort of did do was going towards that great cause. And so in the middle of it, one of the days, um, in <laughs> just because it wasn't hard enough, you decided to do two marathons in the same day. Uh, in the middle of that, when your brain isn't working properly, are you thinking about the reasons behind it is that something that you can fall back on in those moments yeah i suppose like you're 65k in uh the sun is setting it's getting dark now you can't see anything there's nothing really to take your mind off what you're doing now that's when you sort of drift into those moments and and go back to the reasons why and and what you're doing it for um and yeah it's you haven't got much else to uh to enjoy at that time when your feet are absolutely killing you like you said, you've done 65k and you can only literally see some footsteps in the sand up to 10 meters ahead of you. So yeah, that, that's when it all gets a little bit crazy. It's really a great cause and it's it's all over Ireland, as you say. They're raising 12 million at the moment for a second therapeutic centre in Kong in County Mayo and it's called Cancer Fund for Children. So tell us about the second challenge. Um, you know, <laughs> I believe glutton for punishment is the phrase that, that's coming to mind, but it is for such a great cause. I can kind of see exactly how you get hooked on it. Yeah, so the second challenge is um, a solo Atlantic row across the Atlantic Ocean. I'm doing that as part of the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, which is essentially a race that happens every year. And sort of 30 or 40 teams leave the Canary Islands and row across to Antigua and the Caribbean. Um, I'm doing it solo, so there's probably only going to be three or four solos uh, doing it in my year. Um, And it's 3,000 nautical miles, totally self-supported, so you carry everything you need to survive on the boat. um, And... uh, the, and basically you're on your own out there um, and they say that more people have uh, been to, to space and, and climb Mount Everest so it's it's a fairly extreme challenge uh, and I have a lot of work to do because I literally took my first rowing strokes about a month ago on Salford Keys and here in Manchester so I have six months now to to train to learn about my boats to pick up seamanship and stuff like that because um, yeah I'm uh, I'm starting from scratch What if you get seasick? <laughs> Good question. A lot of people do get seasick in the first few days, and apparently it's terrible. Apparently, it's uh, it literally wipes you, and it's it's really really difficult to get over for the first few days. You, I, I've been out training once now uh, for a couple of days, and I never had any seasickness. Okay. And I've never had seasickness before, so fingers crossed. Okay, okay. And uh, in terms of like that actual seamanship, is that easy to acquire those skills quickly? Is it, is it more a physical challenge? For, for this one or is it more actually learning how the mechanics of everything should work this one is definitely a mental challenge uh, my first challenge running through the desert was probably more physical because you know you just need to get through six days this one is up to 60 days probably at least two months so uh, that and you're on your own for the entirety of that so that's where it becomes a real real mental test and who's ever been alone for that that, that, that period of time so who knows how I'm going to react but uh, that's what I'm preparing for and that's where I've got to sort of um, practice and, and, and try and uh, put some things in place and coping mechanisms and stuff like that for the tough moments. What, what sort of coping mechanisms? Like how do you get through the solitude, do you think? 
Well, just little things like I love audiobooks, I love podcasts, um, I'll have a, a couple of close friends that I want to speak to, um, things like that. I, I don't want to dig too deep because it's, it's, it's such a big unknown, but it's those things that will bring me back to sort of my normal routines and daily life. Uh, so I'll have sat phones and stuff like that, which will be able to help, but there'll be certainly no Wi-Fi or anything like that. Right. Okay. So um, lots of uh, box sets and uh, of um, podcasts and, and recommendations, I'm sure, will be uh, forthcoming. Jamie, if people do want to support you and uh, help you to raise some money, what's the best way for them to do that? And well, you can follow my campaign and, and all the training I'm going through in the lead up to this event on Nothing Ventured campaign on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I have a, way, a website called nothingventurecampaign.com as well. So, uh, yeah, I'd appreciate any support. Um, I'm looking for sponsors in Ireland as well that would be willing to come on board. So, like we said, it's all for a great cause of Cancer Fund for Children. And, uh, yeah, any, I, I really appreciate any support. Well, listen, we wish you the very best of it. A quick word about Manchester City and the, the general pall of doom that must hang over you guys at the moment. That was hard to take. Oh, what a crazy, what a crazy week. Even the first leg was just, was just crazy. Um, yeah, I, in the first leg, I don't know how Real Madrid scored three goals. I still can't get my head around that. And then last night, we, uh, there, there aren't words really, are there? It's just uh, football is such a crazy game of small, small margins. I, I know Pep speaks about that in his press conferences all the time, small margins in those big Champions League games. And you think back to like that Grealish chance and... Uh, even the goal that Real Madrid scored, the header was off a deflection. So it's those tiny little bits that make such a difference at the top level. Yeah, and they're the ones that I think make the off-season so hard to survive. Still, there's a league title right there as well for the team at the moment. So no doubt they'll refocus pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine so. Um, that's the big one. Newcastle on the weekend is just another final for them. Uh, three games to go, right? So uh, yeah, win all three and you win the league. Yeah, I mean, it's, you, you, I mean... Uh, as simple as that is, and as simple as that sounds, that is the truth. And if they end the season with a champion or with a, a league title, it's never a bad season. Jamie, we wish you the very best. Um, congratulations on what you've done so far, and it is all for a really good cause. So, thanks very much for joining us this morning. Cheers. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Millie, for having me on. It's uh, Jamie Carr. He's an academy coach at uh, Manchester City, and obviously raising loads of money for the Cancer Fund for Children. If you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Uh, you can follow Off the Ball across all our social platforms. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the OTB Sports app to enjoy the latest and best in sports content and analysis. Owen and Adrian back from half seven tomorrow. Uh, as usual on Friday, they'll be enjoying a bit of a cork loving with Breed Stack and Ronan O'Gara, along with our GA Quick Picks, the Crappy Quiz and much more. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.